Ready for a shitty mailbag? All right, I've hit record. Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how are you doing in these pre-Gamescom times? Are you excited about going to Germany? Are you excited about having a tiny beer and some beige meats? <laughs> yeah, tiny beers, yes. Beige meats, yes. I'm, though, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit too fussy to enjoy pork knuckle. <laughs> uh, I, just the name of it is like I wish they'd call it something else because it just sounds gross and it looks kind of gross as well. Um, it looks like a piece of meat that you might find in a house cellar in Resident Evil Four Village. <laughs> yeah, where Leon might walk past it and go, "What the hell is that?" Except here, it's loads of game shows going. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, when this podcast goes out, Gamescom will have be in full swing or have largely happened and my verdict is based on what i know i'm seeing is people are going to be thoroughly underwhelmed <laughs> <laughs> wow okay well, so let's see I... maybe there'll be loads of secret stuff which only gets revealed at the show that i'll be desperately trying to get uh, the team in to see but um currently it's it's a it's a no from me, dog. <laughs> well obviously my game will be uh oh, yeah i Matthew, so uh, your you know. game aside <laughs> No, I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one for us because we are at Gamescom. We're recording this on the previous Saturday, and it's and we're editing it on the Sunday. So it's just basically in in the post for the Friday while we're away. And so um, brisker mailbag might be good for us. I do remember the first time I had pork knuckle, Matthew, because people had talked up pork knuckle to me. They were like, "Oh yeah, it's like infinite food." Basically, <laughs> they just bring you this giant lump of meat, and I was so excited by it. And then what I pictured versus the reality, which was like a little side of sauerkraut, which is barely vegetables, let's face it. Like that's like, you know, it's almost the same color as the meat that you're eating. And then the pork knuckle was, seemed to be like 75% fat. And then in there somewhere was some pork. See, that's, and that was... I, I, I'm quite a fussy about my very fatty meats, which is why you might understand I'm not into pork knuckle that much. That's fair enough. You're much of a sirloin steak guy? Probably not. What's... Mm. It's got the little eye bit with the the fatty bit. Fry that good and proper. It tastes real good, I think. Yum, 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 yum. But um, mm. you know, that's uh, <laughs> it's not for everyone, I admit. So I like more of a processed neat meats. <laughs> I like chicken nuggets and uh, other such I like, things. I like meat Venice that's been very carefully shaped to hide that it was once a living creature. <laughs> Ideally, in the shape of a dinosaur or similar. Oh, or definitely, yeah, or or like a, the cartoon character of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, excited about that. I'm excited about the tiny, um, tiny beers. I do remember a bizarre situation last year where I think that like the Irish pub stopped accepting cash after a certain point, and or they stopped accepting cards after a certain point and only accepted cash. And then I had this weird situation where um, I couldn't like get out of the bar. And I couldn't pay for anything in the bar, and I was trapped in there with no drinks. I can't remember exactly how this happened. Get out of it. It was just really bizarre. There was just some reason I couldn't leave. Or maybe it was. Maybe I, I. I. Oh, that was it. I think I bought a beer for someone else while the the rules in Germany had changed. Of like, you can no longer have beers outside after a certain time. So while I was at the bar buying like four pints, 
it basically I could no longer take it outside. And so I had to either abandon my four pints at the bar, go outside, get people, bring them back to get their beers, which they couldn't drink outside anyway. I just remember being trapped in there for about 45 minutes. It's a very strange situation. But yeah, anyway, that's uh, I'm excited for an omnibus edition of that experience this week. Um, and to go back to the puppet bar as well. I always thought these places actually, which are like, I should say to people listening, in Cologne, there's like one sort of block of the city centre uh, where a lot of the hotels are and the restaurants are and British press in particular and um, media people and sort of industry people all end up going to like these two pubs like a, an Irish bar that's not particularly Irish really and then um, and then a, a like a bar that's got all these like old antique antiquated puppets um, basically like kind of like a novelty sort of bar I would say and those are the places that people go and it's quite funny how underwhelming they are I would say they feel like kind of touristy spots and the first yeah. time I went I was like oh this is the place people have been talking about it's, um, it's but, so yeah. naff given that that city is like famous for its beer halls and like traditional drinking places and yeah. we all congregate in like the shittiest bit of it like really <laughs> adhering to kind of stereotypes of what like british louts are like yeah and we try to be self-aware about it but there is nonetheless no. that feeling of like there is a whole city out there <laughs> yeah it's, the, it's the same it's the same thing that draws everyone to the saddle ranch in la for e3 it's just yeah. like oh it's the piece of shit that we always go to like why do we do this you know? <laughs> every now and then though i had i have the appetite for the saddle ranch because it's so different to anywhere you would go in the uk but then yeah. i think like like i said last time when I saw like a woman in tiny shorts on the bucking bronco and an elderly couple having like a like a big dinner sat next to it watching, I was like, "This is a fundamentally cursed <laughs> place. This is yeah. we need to burn this down and start again." Basically, so yeah, um, yeah. Good times. I'm just always in such a foul mood after a day of like doing the show floor and doing all the appointments and like the stress of it. That actually, I just want to go and like be by myself in the hotel room. Like, <laughs> knee or no knee, I would probably still rather be in the hotel room. Yeah. Do you know, the other weird thing is, do you ever get this when you're a journalist, right? That, that there are like, you always hear about parties you're never invited to. And this would happen at E3 a lot. I'd hear about like a, like a Fortnite party and stuff like that. Or you'd hear about a, like a Sony party at Gamescom. And I was never invited to those. And I always thought, okay, I'm editor-in-chief of PC Gamer. Like, it, as press go, that's actually like, that's what we call tier one, Matthew. That's like, you know, upper <laughs> upper end press. And I never got an invite. And I thought, what are these shows for except to get press to write about your game and you don't invite them to your party? Is What's what's up with that? It's and it not, felt like, it's not yeah. that, though. You throw a party for your other mates in the industry <laughs> and, and maybe influencers, like... The bit the press need to go to is the boring bit in the in the game center where you show your games. Like that's right. that's the oh snore. That's what we're actually here to do. And then <laughs> he, and then it's that's just an excuse to hang out with all the other like PR and marketing people who you actually like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I invited lots of press to our party this year, Matthew. Basically, you invite like I was, me. Didn't I? It's just people from PlayStation Access on the list. There's three of them. Are you not one of them? No. Okay, well, I'll send you an invite. So by the time people listen to this, hopefully you've been to our party. No, it's, and I'll be uh, doing an in-depth review breakdown on the next uh, on the next episode. <laughs> I've been Twitter-stalking people, actually, for like um, knowing they're at Gamescom and being like, okay, add them to the party list, and just getting our PR agency to email out invites. Is and... it going to be a banger, your party? Oh, I think so. It's on our booth. It's a it's a really big booth um, themed around the game. It's, uh, it's Wait, pretty cool. It's, it's, it's... What, it's like during the day? or 
again, by the time people are listening to this, it's all happened, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Up, it's, it's after, it's after the show. Yes, yeah, after hours. Oh, it's hours. like after hours, but it, within the convention centre. Yeah, exactly. And it's before, I think it's before people come in. Uh, it's oh, okay. on the Wednesday night, so it's like before the booth has been like ransacked what, by the public. What musical act do you have booked? Uh, Shaggy. Uh, he's going to be doing all of his hits. Shaggy. No, I don't know. Baby no, we... man. <laughs> no, we have no we have no musical act. Um, but I have a little air of, do you know that Simpsons episode where Martin Prince gets a swimming pool? And he like invites everyone round. He becomes the popular kid suddenly. Uh, right. it's, a, it's, just, it's the same episode where Bart injures his leg and they get because the, they got the swimming pool. And I have like a tiny bit of Martin Prince energy when I'm like getting all of these journalists to come to my party. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. I hope it doesn't seem like I'm currying favour because on the night I might just go and hide in a corner and- with a vodka. <laughs> Coke, you know what I mean? Well, that's ironic because when I'm at Gamescom, I famously have Bart broken leg energy. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you do come to our party, I will have to insist that you arrive with a shattered knee. That's like <laughs> my only parameter. So uh, that's yes. the entertainment: Shaggy and Matthew Castle's open knee wound. <laughs> no, that isn't a band name. That's literally he's going to have a knee wound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're playing at Moles and Bath this Saturday. Um, excited about about that. We're, um, su- we're supporting health on their next tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you just slag them off before their next set. Like, I don't know what you've heard about health. They go, are you ready to hear a drum for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> and the like, yeah! I'm like, well, you're in luck because that is literally who you're getting. <laughs> oh, incredible! We've got there's so many like in jokes we've wrapped up into one 10 minute opening there. Uh, it's good. Perfect. I think that's good energy. I think for a, a cursed. Well, that's because we, we know what kind of questions are coming, so we're trying to have some fun <laughs> now. No, there's some good ones this week. There's a couple of bad ones, and we won't say what they are because we don't want the listeners. See to feel if you bad. can guess from our reaction. <laughs> I somehow think Matthew's not going to disguise um, his contempt <laughs> in the, the time around. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Um, I did actually have a tiny bit of pod admin to go through first, Matthew. Right. So um, I just wanted to say, for people who listened to the best games of 2016 last week, I think people did enjoy that episode. But you've probably noticed a kind of like curve of dourness kicking in with us talking about our latter days in print and. We are aware that that makes a slightly depressing listening. I think it's an inevitable result of the modern world kind of like becoming really, really bad and like that becoming incredibly obvious around 2016, but it curdling a bit before that, um, also coinciding with whatever was happening with us. So we decided that for the next uh, Best Games of X Year episode, we're going to go back to 2001 and talk about that. And so you'll get more in the way of uh me doing my paper round anecdotes as opposed to like what i was doing you know with a copy of pc i've got some hot i've got some hot home base content (laughs) so we're gonna do that because i think it'll be a bit different the games are like completely different obviously um so we'll um probably do that in a couple of months or something but um just want the listeners to know that so um 2017 we'll probably say for next year at some point but uh yeah so we're gonna do it gonna do 2001 next but that's a way off. This week's episode is, like I say, a cursed mailbag. Um, our listeners have very kindly sent us in questions. We have loads of questions backed up, actually. Matthew, in a general sense, I have some gratitude about how much interaction we get because think about when we ran magazines, right? How fucking hard it was to get people to send letters in and how mm. naff those pages would end up being because you didn't get that level of interaction here. We have more questions than we can fit in like a monthly mailbag episode, I'd say, which is. A nice position to be in that people give a shit about what we've got to say. How do you feel about that? Yeah, this sound, 
it sounds like you're course correcting because I've been too down on mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm the one who called it a cursed mailbag. Did I start the episode by recording by saying, let's get this piece of shit mailbag done or whatever? <laughs> yes. <That's... laughs> no, I think people people always enjoy these because we sort of freewheel a little bit. But um, I don't know. I'm grateful for the interaction. I noticed you didn't really answer my question there. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, of, of course, you know, awesome that people feel feel this this invested some of these questions i do look at and think do you really want to know this or do you just do you just want to have a little bit of interaction that's okay if you if it's if it's if it's the latter that's fine yeah uh, big you can just say hi to us on the discord <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of them you just straight up answered in the discord so someone said why have you had greener on from endgamer and you were like because he works for some company or something like that and it was <laughs> i was like okay good he took care of that one so we'd have to read it out on the episode <laughs> yeah there was one bit of Discord business I wanted to cover, actually, Matthew, before we get into this episode. So one thing that's kind of notable, I suppose, not because obviously we have something like 5,000 weekly listeners, 6,000 weekly listeners. So not everyone is in the Discord. There's about 800 people in the Discord. But um, there is a, a Twitter account called Backpage Pod Quotes that's existed for a few months. And it's been a kind of like um, a sort of ongoing feud between me running the main Twitter account and that account because the quotes they pick, I would say, were not particularly memorable. They were quite strange. They were a bit <laughs> they're a bit like sort of like, oh, I bought episode one racer for my mum once, episode something or other, where you're like, okay, I mean that is a notable thing that Matthew said, but it's not hysterically funny. You know what I mean? It's no uh, you, you don't think people are gonna see that isn't a useful marketing tool for us. People aren't gonna see that account and go, I gotta get me some of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they, they, no one has you um calling the people outside Yogscast fucking psychos, which I think is the funniest thing anyone said on a podcast recently. That's like <laughs> that would actually be great content for it. It's like <laughs> sorry to disappoint you, you fucking psychos. That made me laugh so much listening back to it. Um so that that's been so I've just been saying like because also the account's really languid. It wouldn't post for like two months, and sometimes it would slightly misquote us. And it felt like it was a deliberate running joke that it was like doing a quotes account not very well. And then the listeners loved it because um, I, we were basically bashing our own fan account, which is functionally what it was. So it was a great combo all round. Basically, there's been a sort of like who done it of who who was actually running that account, and people sussed it in the Discord, and it was. Um, it was quite fun. People were trying to piece together from some very abstract clues who the who the person was, and they were eventually unmasked by our um, admin, Betamax Bandit, who uh, figured out it was Angry Kurt, who works for EA and used to work for uh, Team Seventeen. And it was quite fun. It was like a live, live, ro- live role playing experience where everyone was trying to figure this thing out. You must, even you must have been like quite impressed by the whole thing, Matthew. Oh yeah, I mean, as a lover of detective fiction, yeah, it was it was thrilling. I mean, there was. Uh... A moment where was it? Was it in? It was the count itself posted some cryptic clues as to who it was. Yeah, the the account they posted <laughs> a screenshot of the game black, um, a picture of the the football player Eden Hazard, um, and, and Donut then, County, and the game Donut County, and <laughs> the yeah yeah go on. Well, like I didn't give it much thought. I looked at it and thought, is there is this a clue about someone's Discord username? So there was a lot of people going like Black Hazard Donut and <laughs> <laughs> trying to work out, you know, what what the relation of those images to the Discord was, uh, and it turned out to be much much more bizarre. In it was the it was the account, aka Kurt, um, attempting to 
uh, trick us into thinking the account was run by Ashley Day, uh, our friend and uh, fellow Team 17 person. Uh, I, I, I don't quite understand the specifics of what was going on with that, but I kind of like the audaciousness of it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because the clues was like, basically the clues were that they used to work for Team 17 and Eden Hazard's shirt was like, that was a number 17. Oh, so right, that was it, yeah. It, it, it ruled out Ash straight away because it was a football player. Ash would have no idea who the fuck Eden Hazard <laughs> is, so I was never going to assume it was Ash. Then, uh, then, the, then it was the other clues were, you know me, Kurt. I love black, <laughs> famously, and also Donut County. And that was like, uh, honestly, I had I had no idea, and I felt like the clues were well, like the, the Donut County. The Donut County thing was because Ash's blog is games from the black hole. Oh, okay, and wow, so it's a Donut Hole black hole thing. I the. I- <laughs> <laughs> the idea is like you know as someone who's read a lot of crime fiction and <laughs> dealt with a lot of fictional killers who've tried to frame other people if you're going to try and frame someone you don't try and frame someone with incredibly cryptic clues like no. the whole idea of a framing is that it's kind of obvious who the person is so the idea that he he was trying to use these clues to set up ash but no one you know the idea that someone would look at donut county and go donut hole Games from the black hole. <laughs> like, like, it's just it's it it, it was like inde- endearingly bad attempt at framing. <laughs> it was. I think if I was to frame Ashley Day, I would just put a picture of like fucking Shining Force of Valkyria worms. Chronicles worms. Yeah, like or some Ash. Just a picture of Ash. <laughs> <laughs> From uh, on Games TM circa two thousand seven, looking like Bill Hader, um, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was good fun. And also, I felt bad about um, slamming the quotes account because Kurt's a really nice guy. Kurt's the one who sent us copies of Jedi Survivor, Matthew. So very grateful for that. But yeah, the clues were like the most abstract things I've ever seen. But I was very impressed by Betamax Bandit uncovering who it was. It made sense actually when I read back the the messages that Kurt put versus what the tweets it sort of like added up. And then there was even a grand unmasking moment of the, you know, the perp in question. It was good. It was really fun. Except, well, but, really before the grand unmasking, didn't you DM and accuse someone else? Yeah. <laughs> One of the listeners who sent us, a, basically there's a listener in the discord who has been like, has, has previously been waging a campaign of saying Bayonetta 2 is better than Bayonetta 1. And I've been like, absolutely not. They probably caught me on a bad day, but I'm still like, <laughs> I'm 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 not even engaging with that. <coughs> even though I think Matthew, you've kind of come around to that idea a little bit in recent years. Um, uh, like, I don't think it's it's not something I would I would like roll my eyes at. Right, fair enough. Um, so I did um, I did think that if I was going to be like trolled by an account that was doing a quotes account n- not very well to my standard then that person doing it deliberately to drive me nuts kind of added up in my head and i just went j'accuse in the discord and they said that they read that message while they were in the toilet and i felt bad after that uh, because i was the incorrect. whole thing was like a very bad poirot episode <laughs> a guy who was bad at framing a bad detective who gets it wrong the first time around imagine <laughs> that in a crime show it's yep. this guy. No, it's not. All right. Uh, <laughs> this guy? 
<laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was good fun. It was a, a significant moment in the history of the Discord. I've never it's seen like people... a, our very own ARG. Very much so. Yeah. It was really really fun. So now we need someone to set up a worst back page pod like takes account, and then we can unmask that person as a kind of like sequel, much like you know our. It could be our version of Death on the Nile, Matthew. Um... <laughs> Uh, or whatever the fuck Brano's doing this this year. Um, that one. Uh, spooky Venice crime adventure. Absolutely. Um, okay, good. Let's get to the questions then, 20 minutes in, Matthew. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to read this first one? Didn't we answer this on the last one? Oh, did we? Oh, is this the last one we answered, was well, it? did we not? Maybe we asked it, but we didn't actually answer it because we just went off and had an anecdote about pizzas. Uh, yeah, I don't remember answering it as well, such. We'll throw it in anyway. Like, Yeah, sure. It's, it's a bit like when you get the next episode of a TV show and it starts with like the last minute. That's yeah. more of an anime thing, where you watch <laughs> half of an episode of Naruto that you've watched and then you get to see a new bit of Naruto. <laughs> um, that's the vibe. Short one. What's the best pizza restaurant you've eaten at and what's the best pizza chain? Following Samuel's brutal takedown of Bella Italia in the RPG channel on Discord... Hey, it beats Dreamcast talking episode chat. That's, that's confusing. That's from Balladeer. <laughs> yeah, probably the meanest thing I've done to a friend is is say that their partner's joke that their fav- their partner's favourite restaurant is Bella Italia uh, to suggest they somehow lack taste in some way. That's like probably the meanest thing I've said to a good friend who will be listening to this and saying, yep, Samuel did say that and he is a piece of shit. Um, so... I I gotta say, like the the most excited I've ever been about having pizza was having like a dollar slice in New York in two thousand seven. I was with um, John Denton, who listens to this, and um, friend of the weekend, John Denton. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, having a slice of New York pizza was pretty pretty impressive. But I gotta say, I gotta fall back on my the old um, oven, Matthew. Really, I just think that I've had so many good. That just that's really raised my expectation of um, pizza on the flavour front. But uh, how about you? Any more exciting answers than yeah, that? Yeah, in, in Bath, I, I like the oven. I, I've still got a lot of affection for the Real Italian Pizza Company, which I know you're a little cooler on. But uh, I had a birthday dinner there once with Endgamer um, many, many years ago, which was the first time I went. And like the fact that the pizza was good combined with just the... Um, the camaraderie of being with the the whole Endgamer team means it's cemented as a very fond memory. Yeah, I, like, you know, I think I've eaten... I, I, I can't remember the name of this restaurant, but we went to this pizza place in New York where the the table reservation system or, like, the waiting system in the restaurant was, like, a train departure board. They had, like, an they had like an antique train departure board from, like, an Italian train station. Oh, wow. And you, when you came in, you got given the name of a station, and when your station came up on the departure board, it meant your table was ready and you'd go to it. That makes it sound kind of, like, you know, gimmicky and sort of trashy, but it was actually quite sophisticated. Uh, I remember that being good, though... My memory's so hazy, that might have also just been a pasta restaurant. <laughs> Terrible <laughs> anecdote. Uh, <laughs> no, I like the departure board detail. Yeah, well, um, there's, a, like, there's a bit of colour. Um, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, I love a good old pizza. The truth is, actually, like the, my, my favourite... Uh, the time I remember having pizza that was mind-blowing, like the first time ever, was when I was on a holiday in Bordeaux with my family, and we got pizza from some takeout place there and I think it was the first time I'd ever had like freshly made pizza that wasn't from Pizza Hut or whatever and that seemed like the greatest thing ever at the time just how the how warm the crust was I still kind of remember the exact texture of it so Mm. no pizza can surpass that because I was very young 
and um, it was I was right on holiday, and, and Alpha was like a kind of mythical memory of a pizza. Very you know ratatouille. I mean? <laughs> Very much so. Um, I did have a moment there where I was describing that though, and I was going, "This is a fucking video games podcast, right? What are we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to the next question, Matthew. Your favorite question, this. Just a quick question. When the next Xbox and the PS6 are released, do you think they will still have a disk drive? What do you think, Matthew? <laughs> uh, nah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't care. <laughs> uh, that's from IMGTR63. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who has an opinion on these things? Um, like, isn't the rumor that there might be a PS5 Slim with, like, a modular disk drive that you add to it. Yeah, I don't see why that's appealing, personally. I just... All in one or nothing for me. I don't really get it, but, you know... Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess it's a question about, like, if if we ever make the... You know, who will be bold enough to make the jump to, like, fully diskless? Yeah. um, And, you know, will we ever have the, the online infrastructure or the online policies that make digital only a bit more appealing a bit like xbox with their you know i swear once upon a time they talked about could you sell on a digital game to a friend um like, i think that was that actually... sort of part of the xbox one pitch that then everyone was so like fuck this that they were like all right we'll just we'll just do it like we've always done it uh I, yeah i think there was some discussion about that yeah but it i don't know i mean that's that is different to a second-hand system because they would presumably control the pricing of that, wouldn't they? So, yeah. you know, it would stand. It, it was to stop some kind of grey market popping up. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It didn't sound that appealing to me at the time, but I don't know. Should we just? I have a quick answer to this one, Matthew. Then we could probably move on. Yeah. So, um, I think the answer is yes, they will, because there are parts of the world where physical media is still very much at the core of what they do. Um, I think as well, it's probably more appealing to retail partners to say, you know, we can, we're going to sell games as well as um, oh, as go. well as. Here's the proper answer. This is a proper answer you're hearing right now. I was just worried about you having a ten minute monologue about the question that turned into an existential crisis. No, <laughs> and... no, I said my bit. Fair enough. No, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I think I think the answer is it. They probably will, and you'll probably get what you get this generation and get, you know, one with and one without. Um, I don't want to go fully digital. I still like getting physical games. That's not going to change. And uh, I think Xbox is probably in a better position for this than Sony because most of I think di- digital is a much bigger deal on Xbox. They've they've made more of that transition probably because of um, Game Pass, and uh, and uh, you know the the likes of that. So yes, well, there's the answer. Thank Matthew. you for that, Piers Piers Harding Tubby rolls. <laughs> no worries. Uh, do you want to read the next one? Dear S and M brackets not a horny podcast. I've just discovered that Tears of the Kingdom has thirty two more shrines in it than I thought it had. I was all set to mark the game as completed, but now I'm obliged to play it for another 30-odd hours at least. Question, is Tears of the Kingdom too long? Bonus question, what's the ideal length for a video game? Love from Jamie. Probably a question for you, Matthew, because you finished Tears of the Kingdom. I haven't finished it. Oh, what? How much have you played? 150 hours. Well, that confirms it's too long. That's too fucking long, that game. That's too fucking long. long. That's too long. It should be done by now. That's way too much game. I'm relishing in it. I'm just taking my time with it. <clears throat> We're getting one of these games every six years. I think it's fucking perverse to complain about this game being as big as it is when it's the quality that it is, when we get them so irregularly. Like, this has got to last us a long time. We want it <laughs> We want it to be done in 10 hours so you can start being like, where's the next one? Like, no, <laughs> absolutely. It's obscene that someone would complain about the, the you know how much good stuff there is in this game. That is preposterous. 
Oh dear. Bad, so bad take. <laughs> that Zelda is too long. This is, this is the last one we're going to get until fucking 2029. Oh, I'll be so old then. I'll be like 41. Fuck. That right. just makes me want to, that makes me want to die thinking about that. Jesus. <laughs> just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. You don't yeah. have to rush it. It doesn't have to be done. It's not against the clock. I haven't finished <laughs> it, but I also I haven't played it for the last month. Yeah. I've just I got think... it on pause. I'll go back to it. I'll dig into it. I'm just, you know, I'm taking my time. I'll have finished it by, you know, time we get to Game of the Year. But no, like, if a game's big, you know, bad, but it's not. It's good. So, fine. Good. Well, look, Jamie, I appreciate the question. Thank you for writing in. Um, so, I... Related to this, so Matthew, and the the other part of the question, the the bonus part of the question, um, and what's the ideal length for a video game? I think that probably part of it with Tears of the Kingdom is it was the first of like a fucking cascading series of one hundred hour games that have come out, and we are just awash in them this year. And you know, it's ridiculous. We had Zelda, Final Fantasy, Diablo, and Baldur's Gate three, and now we're going to have Starfield on top of that. Like that is a ridiculous amount of game in a year that's still got an Assassin's Creed to come as well. That's just so much stuff. So I think actually in that context, it's almost like people probably are. If you own more than one console, like me and Matthew do, you you might be itching to move on to the next thing. You're there thinking, when will Zelda end, or, or when could, do I, can I feel like I can sign off from Zelda and move on to the next thing? So I sort of see why you might have this but yeah i kind of I, I sort of agree with you matthew really i think that with breath of the world i played it for 65 hours i saw as much of it as i wanted to see i didn't do every shrine but i saw every bit of the the, the uh, open world which is you know that was my personal objective to just see that whole world um and then i was done with it after that but um other you know it, it is built so you can play as much or little of it as you want that's really. the thing I, I i don't think it holds you hostage at all i don't think it leans into the you know some of the 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 more cynical kind of completionist kind of tricks you know there isn't a big tick list there's not loads of icons you're trying to remove you know you can opt in that you know you, you don't have to explore all of the depths you know the actual things you have to do down there is probably a couple of hours like you can definitely get through to the end credits of this game you know in like 30 hours or whatever loads of reviewers did you know i i think it, i Maybe this is the rare case of a game which I think does sustain its length. It's maybe the more level-headed take. Like, I, I feel like I'm at 150 hours. I haven't finished it yet. But I don't feel like, oh, fuck this game. Or I wish it would wrap up. I know how I could wrap it up. Um, and I've just chosen not to. And that's that's fine. So Fair enough. I, think I don't mean to well- scoff. I don't, I don't mean to su- suggest that Jamie's an idiot or anything. That's, that, isn't was- what I'm go- that isn't what I'm going for. I just... I don't know, like, the wait for this game, it just took so long, and the idea of, like, it's done, and now I'm, I, I, like, I refuse to go back into the waiting pattern, because I know it's going to be a long time, so I'm just, just taking my time. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I, uh, yeah, I think, um, as well, that I feel more in general in recent years, I I feel slightly intimidated by the growing length of games, it it just, I think my ideal, ideal year of games, if we're doing, like, game of the year, has, like, five Five great games that are six hours or less, or three three games that are under twenty hours, and and maybe two that are under a hundred hours. Like I don't, I think I'm going to pick my battles this year, and I'm going to probably going to skip Diablo for game of the year stuff and just focus on Baldur's Gate three, um, because that's become you know the significant game of the year. So I feel like I have to have a take on it before the end of the year. And um, sixteen FF sixteen, I've already like um, started that. You know, some way into that one, so we'll try and finish that one as well. But that, otherwise, I will give up on the rest. You know, 
Yeah. Final Fantasy 16 was too long. Yeah, like there, like there is a game which is like seventy hours, but it's got maybe like thirty hours of actual like gameplay evolution and interest in it. You yeah, know? that's yeah. the dif- that's the difference. I just I think, think tears yeah. tears very rare case. Yeah, as well. If you want to like compare, I think if you look at Jedi Survivor and how you can basically blast through that story in about twenty hours, but there's probably another twenty hours of stuff to do on top of that for you to go and find um, when you unlock like the full power set later in the game. Um, and so it's structured nicely that you can you can l- engage with that stuff or not. It's you know very nicely laid out worlds where you like you see things that grab your interest, but you can't return until later. And if you want to, and if you want to build your fucking Jedi garden at the top of that pub or whatever's going on in that game, you can do that, <laughs> and that's good. Whereas how's your Jedi garden coming along? Uh, I think I just planted a load of like space cabbages and fucked off. Basically, that's that's <laughs> my only interaction with that garden. Yeah, um, I did to love get that whatever trophy pop or. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did love that little bar space and like watching the PS5 wrestle with trying to load it in and out every time you walked in, into it because there's so many NPCs in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so whereas FF16 obviously holds you hostage to complete all these boring side quests and it, you almost wish it had the Jedi Survivor thing of just saying these things are actually optional and you don't have to do them. Um, yeah. you, and you can see the end credits then go and do it later but instead it's like it's gating all of this story content with those quests I mean it's just that's, that to me is black and white sort of like good design versus you know not particularly user friendly design but mm. hey ho okay next question Matthew oh, I'll yeah. read this one Hi, Samuel and Matthew. At the time of writing this, I'm currently watching the Mission Impossible series, fuck's sake, for the first time in preparation for your podcast on it. Um, It got me thinking, why don't you think there are more, uh, many, spy-slash-secret-agent-based games? We had the likes of Alpha Protocol, the Bond games, and Hitman, I guess, at a push. Why do you think it's been underserved? That's from Angry Kurt, the uh, culprit in in question, previously discussed. Or should I say, uh, Black Hazard Donut. Um, (laughs) That's his secret agent name, (laughs) ironically. Ah, uh, welcome, Mr. Black Hazard Donut. <laughs> the name's Donut, Black Hazard Donut. Black Hazard Donut. Um, my, my take on this is, it's kind of like, I think a lot of popular spy fiction is tied to a particular set of licenses, Matthew. So, James Bond is so overpowering as a depiction of, like, you know, secret agent something, you know, fiction in general, that... You know, it actually does feel it's filtered down to the way that the likes of Bourne and Mission Impossible have been made, for example. It's influenced those. And it's it looms so large that if you end up doing something like Alpha Protocol, you might make something that looks and sounds like a knockoff if you're not doing the actual thing. Right. Um, and then the other side of spy fiction is like the Le Carre stuff, right? Where it's like a bit more um, sort of like dudes meeting in like 70s coffee shops or whatever and, you know code words and not much action really which doesn't necessarily lend itself to a video game so that was sort of my take i don't know if you could do like slow horses as a video game do you know what i mean it's not not that kind of vibe um plus visually uh, it's quite hard to create something mega distinctive looking as well um Mm. and the other part is i think that call of duty has, has a little bit of this too you do get some spy type missions in call of duty or or set pieces that feel a bit james bondy particularly in the first three modern warfare games what's your take on this matthew yeah i i, I think there maybe are like in respect to how many games get released like there's probably as many spy games as you'd imagine there would be you know like hit like that you have hitman which basically is this big spy game you know it is a james bond game really i think um 
you know it's not like there's it's not like there's loads of games being made full stop it's part of it um i also just think a big part of the spy fantasy is stealth and like that's just never 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 been a big thing like it's provably less successful than than other genres you know the optimal spy game probably is something like alpha protocol which is a bit more like you know you have to have offer stealth a social experience a good action experience then you're almost veering into like immersive sim territory which would you know bring out most publishers in a cold sweat um you know maybe there just isn't a mainstream appetite for the kind of the the full fantasy of of the spy game you know you know your best bet is making an out and out action game and i don't think that would satisfy the the sort of spy secret agent genre would be my like attempt at a guess <laughs> yeah i think i i think i kind of agree with that um so yeah yeah the, the licensing's yeah i mean that's right as well there was a period where like all you know 360 had all kinds of like born and james bond tie-ins and alpha protocol you know it felt like we were you know giving spies a proper go but yeah yeah they did that but they did the born conspiracy that was like a vivendi game and then there was um there was a, going to be a Starbreeze born game. Do you remember that was in the works for a while? And oh, I don't then, remember that. Yeah, it got axed. It was like it was part of an, you know when EA did all those EA partners things in like the late it, like Shadows of the Damned and Alice Madness oh, Returns. Yeah. It was I think it was part of all that business, which didn't seem to really go anywhere, and they sort of ditched it at a certain point. But you could see Starbreeze bringing a bit of Riddick's physicality to like first person born combat. You know, shoving whacking someone with a rolled up magazine. I could see that hand animation, <laughs> him squeezing a magazine tight, and you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna bash, we're gonna kill someone with the radio times. This is gonna fucking rule. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that the, the Bourne conspiracy game they did make did go for that close quarters, pick things up, sort of right. melee combat, but wasn't particularly well reviewed. And it had the old minority report on PS2 thing of like we couldn't get the actor, so it's like off brand, um, you know, Matt Damon instead. Right. Whereas I feel like now if anyone tried to make something like that, they would just try and get Damon, even if they only could record his like VO for a day or something, they would at least try and get him because it would be a big enough marketing hook to make it a success and i don't think you can make it work without it so yeah mm. yeah it's a weird oh, one. Oh god io's bond game that's going to be the one that that yeah. could be one of the greatest spy games of all time like if they just made like hitman with less of a cynical streak they've done it you know yeah absolutely i keep i keep fantasizing about what that game that game could be in my head so uh no pressure for them i'm sure uh, this is a really hard question to answer. Hi guys, what's the worst take you ever heard from someone you respect about something game related? <laughs> I've got a mate who once called Metal Gear Solid Five uh, "Just Cause" without any of the fud and a worse plot. <laughs> That's from Danny Mann. What's your answer, Matthew? <laughs> Throw me under the bus. Uh, <laughs> I, I really struggle with this one. Yeah, so you know the people I respect, like the, even if I disagree with them, they tend to argue their case. Like I, I don't. Like as a rule, respect contrarians and befriend them. Like I find them quite irritating people. I get them muted straight away on Twitter, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So I kind of cut anyone who's trying to deliberately kind of stir up this kind of stuff. Um, one one opinion from someone I do respect, which has always kind of tickled me, and I, I, I is a uh, uh, Geraint of NGC fame was like, so Geraint Evans, he, still, he was one of the writers on NGC magazine, now works at P-Cube, and he is like, in a non-ironic way, a huge Battleborn head. Right. Which, huh. 
is like when I say he's a huge Battleborn head, I mean he's the huge Battleborn head. He was like legitimately into Battleborn, and at first I thought it was just a Twitter bit because everyone was like, well, "We all know Battleborn's a fucking disaster," and he was like, "Actually, I play it loads, and it's legitimately great." And he wrote a piece for Kotaku UK about why Battleborn is my game of the year, which I wanted to like refresh myself on, but unfortunately, because the internet's a big piece of shit nowadays, all the good stuff from Kotaku UK has been deleted, um, so it's very, <laughs> very hard to find. So I can't actually remember what his argument was, but he was like legitimately into Battleborn, which I thought was genuinely terrible, even knowing his affection for it and the case that he made. You were like, this was a moment of madness. He also quite liked Too Human, right? Um, the very <laughs> bad 360 Dennis Dyke thing. Yeah, I think he's just sort of like a patron saint of like lost causes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's quite funny. Uh, yeah, I wonder if he's got any takes on uh, Lair from Factor 5, Matthew. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, this is really hard because I can't... I, I don't know about worst take. Like... At, even Matthew Matthew doesn't have any takes that really offend me, and I've heard every oh, opinion you have. There must be somewhere you've been like, Ugh. the one where I'm like, I don't know why he's really down on this. Is your how you feel about the end of Red Dead Redemption? I'm a bit like that. Just that at the time just seemed like such a good, a, a, like a, such an incredible right, okay. ending to that game. So when you're a bit like, this is where it turns into an eight out of ten for me or whatever. I don't, I don't. You didn't actually say that. I should, I'm just. <laughs> just saying random bullshit now but um you know it basically being like the pat the ox of that game like i think i'm just I, just at the time i just wasn't cynical about it at all i just thought oh wow what a what a confident end to this game so right. but otherwise otherwise I, I do respect your takes and i think likewise at contrarians i just like blot out and i don't find that i don't know maybe maybe i am too aligned with the people i sort of surround myself with or whatever but i will say actually i'm not going to name the writer but there was one editor I really respected who I worked with, who definitely was down on Japanese games, and I think thought that a lot of Japanese games were quite silly, um, right? And was like quite into like the likes of Bioshock and taking them seriously. But then I would say wouldn't give Japanese games the same time of day, and I think that it was all it was like a bit of a perspective of ignorance of like I won't, I'm not willing to engage with this while praising right. this other thing that I that sort of like I just sort of thought. Yeah, like, you know, you can sort of like, yes, these games might have ridiculous character designs or, you know, a sort of like, or some kind of like preposterous cutscenes you don't like, but they are part of the tapestry of games. It's good to understand them, even if you sort of, even if you ultimately dismiss them. So I've I've had like instances like that. I've had the reverse as well, where people revere Japanese games and then just don't play Western games. So I'm like, you just need both those parts of your diet i'm afraid to understand like the full sweep of what what this medium is um so yeah. i've had that a little bit but yeah i, I couldn't think of any many specific examples here really that a, a lot of people fell in the great war of breath of the wild versus as, as, uh, horizon zero dawn where, <laughs> but i don't think anyone i respected sided with horizon so that was fine that would have that would have been a, a disappointing moment but <laughs> yeah uh do you want to read this next one I'm not sure if this question has been asked before, but was there ever a game that you both wanted to review that for some reason you weren't able to review? It could be a game from the 90s and early noughties, or one that came in while you were there working for a mag. You missed out on because you were reviewing something else, say. If it had been asked before... Oh, <laughs> if it has been asked before, read from here. Um, he, uh, Ryan also asks, 
are there any games from the current gen, that's launch of PS5, Xbox Series XS and Switch, uh, that will be considered true all-timers in 20 years, like Ocarina of Time or GTA San Andreas, for example? Thanks for the awesome content you lads put out each week and month. That is from Ryan Cobain. So two questions there. Reviews you would like to have done. Um, I like the idea of, like, that you weren't able to do in the 90s or noughties. And it's like, we weren't able to do those because we didn't work on magazines. Yeah, because I was Um, five, you know. Like, (laughs) that you weren't able to do for reasons of the flow of time. (laughs) So Uh, the the second part of the question is really easy. Just Breath of the Wild, that goes in there. Done. Um, Yeah. So that will be considered an all-time classic. I don't think there is on PS5 and Xbox series yet. That's not happened. Um, But they've still got, I don't know, probably three or four more years. So fingers crossed. So Pikmin 4. <laughs> I do like Pikmin 4. I've actually like um I've completed like the first layer of the game and it does get so fucking hard once you get past that first bit of credits. Right. Um really have you got that far? Have you you've seen the No, end I'm of the... still no, I've still haven't finished it. Yeah, I see some frustrations with the structure of it being like almost a tutorial for the first 20 hours. I can see right. if you're a if you're an experienced Pikmin head that might bother you. But now where I am it's like it, it's the real shit. I lost 89 Pikmin in one day. Oh um, my god. Yeah. And, and an Ochi. <laughs> Ochi got fucked up twice, yeah. It was a tough day. We had to have Ochi there. put down. It was sad. <laughs> and I'm just sort of like, I do feel like it's all getting a little bit sort of like, I'm like a World War One commander now. It's got that vibe to oh, it. You know right. what I mean? In a good general... way or like a be careful what you wish for kind of way? Bit of a general melching, Blackadder kind of way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just sort of it's incompetent, basically. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, so the other part of this one, I did think that I, I, you know, with Naughties obviously covers. Oh no, it said early Naughties. No, my answer doesn't apply here. I was going to say Fallout Three, which came out when I was on Mags, and there were yeah, a lot can, of like yeah, it can be when it came out on Mags too. Yeah, that's fine. There are a few. I would say I would describe them as Fallout One and Two bores um, in the office who were like, well, actually, if you'll find that this game's the, the tone of this game was already defined by these games in the nineties and noughties, and I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I get it. You're the same as people who are basically like, if you haven't played, you don't understand Bioshock because you haven't played System Shock 2. Those balls. Oh, fucking Those balls. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I have no time for that. So, um, yeah, but under early noughties, I don't know. It would have been really interesting to have reviewed one of the GTAs. It would have been like interesting to have Vice City, but I would have found it really stressful to complete because obviously those games had such were so, such high difficulties um, and some some missions which yes. it, there was some massive spike and it would have completely fucked me up. <laughs> My um, review of Vice City would be like, this is about a guy who goes to this city and uh, <laughs> works really hard to climb climb up a criminal empire and then can't save his friend from a junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's weird that that's the end of the game, but there we have it. <laughs> Yeah, mine with San Andreas would be very similar, where it's like you were, yeah, it's going great, you know, it's this this odyssey across California until you get to um, a a mission where you have to shoot down tiny airplanes with a turret, and then... um, yeah, but CJ just uh, just vanishes from from reality, and then that's the end of the experience. Uh, so yeah, very much that vibe. What about you, Matthew? Um, I would love to have reviewed Super Mario Odyssey, just because I'm as a general rule, getting to review Mario and Zelda games always fun because people actually want to read those reviews and hear the takes, uh, and being able to play it before other people and like formulate your own opinion and your own line on it. Um, I devoured the Odyssey reviews. I was properly obsessed with what, what, what that game was going to be um i would have loved to have reviewed xenoblade one uh, i can't remember why that didn't happen on endgamer like kitsy reviewed it i think we had it on import first and maybe i didn't want to like 
I'd done my fair share of of wrestling through games which I didn't speak the language of. So um, yeah, but I, I would have liked to have because I you know I reviewed two and three, and I, I would have just liked to be able to kind of like uh, set out set out the whole trilogy there. Um, looking further back, uh, I had so much fun reviewing Metal Gear Solid Five. I think to be able to have been able to review Metal Gear Solid in the moment before anyone had spoiled any of it maybe what i'm talking about with these review dreams isn't so much the writing the review it's the getting to play it before it's out and no one has spoiled it for me but Mm. like being able to talk about like metal gear solid a big breakthrough game that's that's so full of interesting stuff like that would have been a real treat and you know i'm very envious of the writers who've had that relationship with that game like all through their career and were able to like review each bit of it as and when they happened so um yeah that would that would have been cool yeah, I think I agree. It's the experiencing it for the first time thing because that was the magic to reviewing GTA Four, for example, and seeing what yeah. was on that second That's island like, for yourself. You know, yeah, right. Because like when you yeah. talk to like you know when we had like Dan Dawkins or Andy Kelly on and talking about like playing like PS2 classics, you know, before other people, and you just had no idea what they are, and the idea of just like picking up Silent Hill Two and going in completely blind with like no expectations. That's that's pretty crazy. Okay, so. Good, uh, good answers there, Matthew. Next question then is from Thanks. Flab. <laughs> well, they were. Sorry, did you have more to say? Sorry. No, no. <laughs> okay, fine. Next question is from Flabzy. I posted a different question first before coming to my senses and realizing that talking about gaming's industry trends and whatever the company's suits are up to is boring nonsense. No one should care about me included. Correct. That's a, a great moment of self-realization there. <laughs> Here's a proper bullshit question, more in the vein of what the podcast is truly about. Thank you. You're both stuck living your lives as a companion character in the world of Baldur's Gate 3. What race are you? Humans not allowed. What pre-made class is your character? As a horrible bonus question, would you take each other's companion character with you on your adventure as you play the game? Love the pod. Cheers from Belgium, spiritual home of the applesauce. Um, I don't really know anything about D&D, Matthew. I've not played Baldur's Gate 3 yet, so I just wrote a goblin man, I guess. A rogue? I don't really I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'd go fiddle dd do you want to get laid that's what happens in Baldur's gate 3 right well so a lot of my thinking was was i kind of took the question i took both parts of the question together i want to build a character that if sam was to take it as their companion i want to make sure you don't end up romancing me basically because <laughs> i think that that would be weird for both of us yeah so i thought what would be like the most unappealing thing <laughs> <laughs> going through all the character creation stuff uh there's there's a race called deep gnomes right <laughs> gnomes are like i mean obviously they're like small they look a bit like sort of dobby the house elf kind of size they're like very <laughs> small like big heads kind of big ears but tiny bodies they're not like stocky like dwarves they're quite sort of skinny so that's kind of grim but they come from like the underdark i think is what defines them as a deep gnome which is like the 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 kind of the world under the world <laughs> deep gnome and because of this the <laughs> deep gnome <laughs> is that like the dark web the deep gnome <laughs> the deep gnomes from the dark web <laughs> uh, and they're they've got like quite an unhealthy shade of purple skin right because they grew up in the darkness um they look a little bit like you know in Willy Wonka when that girl eats the chewing gum and starts turning into like the blueberry yeah and she sort of turns that 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 particular shade of purple they kind of look like that right right so like that also about two foot tall with a bulbous head I don't think there's any chance (laughs) like you're gonna fall in love with my companion well uh there's always that part of your 
you know that that part of like your mind that asks what if i fuck iron bull do you know what i mean like it's, <laughs> <laughs> i like there might still be that curiosity if we're talking about a role play this experience. is like something you'd say to your therapist <laughs> This also sounds like um, that commander in Apocalypse Now talking about Colonel Kurtz going mad in the jungle. Like, it's <laughs> just like, you know, just sort of like the line of madness, basically. Um, yeah, so, okay, uh, I, I suppose that is quite unappealing. But would you otherwise sound like you? Because I think you would be a good companion for an RPG. You're, you know, you're a fun time, you're a good hang, you're very amusing, you make, you know, amusing comments. Would you still have all of that? Or would you deliberately be really boring and have no opinion on things? Uh, yeah, I just don't want to be right. I don't want, like, my my sole, like, online existence to be, like, gifs of, like, some awful sex scene from Border Skate 3. <laughs> um, I just want to be everyone's kind of, like, very sort of... Yeah, just... Fr- I just want everyone to put me in the friend zone. So whatever personality would draw that out. I think... I think... Yeah, my <laughs> it's, it's telling to say. Yeah, I think my my natural personality is very sexually unappealing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah. To answer your question, yeah, I'd be myself. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, what is the touch? Because there's all these articles about like how you romance the different companions and who's like the best characters to romance and stuff. And yeah, I think I'd be just like that that weird deep gnome who's in your party. Someone said to me, I can't remember if it was you actually, someone was saying to me, it's too easy to get laid in Baldur's Gate 3. People are always propositioning themselves to you. They're... And I was and I was like, well, you know, just speak, <laughs> not to reveal too much about myself, but um, I think the idea with a role-playing game is it is a fantasy. And I imagine most people playing have not been, do not get propositioned on the reg and therefore find <laughs> that very exciting that they do have the option to have sex yeah, on tap, but basically. It's, it's the classic back page thing of... Uh... Of being propositioned while you're in a dark room, illuminated only by a computer monitor, <laughs> you know, it is the cursed image of Catherine coming in, and she's like, you know, what are you doing with the? Because some of it's quite wild, the stuff you can get up to. It's immortality all over again, Matthew. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> Let's bubble bath. There's no bubble bath in this one. <laughs> you, um, oh, not immortality. I was again? thinking. Sorry, I was thinking of um, the Yakuza hotlines. <laughs> I was yeah. gonna say I don't I don't remember a bubble bath scene in Sam Barlow's Immortality. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I I misheard. I completely misheard and assumed you must be talking about Yakuza, um, where you can ring up all the ladies who are having lovely bubble baths. Um, oh. Yes, there's there's quite a funny tweet doing the rounds about there's this wizard in the game called Gale. You can quite accidentally enter into romance with him because it is sort of framed of like, oh cool, this guy just this feels like male friendship, but can very easily slip into male romance. It can happen, you know, like even with my weird deep gnome with my horrible nasal voice, um <laughs> you may find yourself romancing me by mistake. Uh, I'm gonna I fear I'm gonna have the word deep gnome welded into my brain for the next two years now. Just gonna be saying deep gnome constantly on this podcast. Um, so yeah, I look forward to that. I'd be curious to see what the romance scene would look like in the game because the gnome is such a different size to the other people. I just picture I just picture like different versions of the hot coffee mod from GTA San Andreas. <laughs> That's all I can picture when I think of video game sex scene, and in that context. You know, little purple guy, just sort of on top, <laughs> let's say. Not good, you know what I mean? Like, not good. Um, I'm tiny. He's tiny. Like, he's like the size <laughs> of your leg. <laughs> okay, um, I, I don't want to go any further down that road. What class would um, your deep name be? Uh, what's what's the least sexy class? Monk? 
<laughs> oh, well, take that, monks IRL. Well, um, you know, he's probably going to talk about like monk stuff. Monks, you think, <laughs> of being quite chaste. That's true, yeah, and a tough hang. Um, okay, good. Uh, so, <laughs> apologies to any any monk patrons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's that question done. That was um, quite a lot of territory in that one in the end. Um, okay, uh, do you want to read this one, Matthew? Uh, in light of Ghost Trick launching on Switch and Steam, do you still prefer to play a game on a particular console, or is it mainly about which version is cheapest and or will be available to you to access for the longest? Also, any thoughts on Tesco stopping physical media sales? That's from Red Holt. Oh, so the, the helicopter has landed and um, Piers Harding Tubby Rolls has uh, entered the building, Matthew. Um. Did someone say Tesco stopping physical media sales? <laughs> We're like, sadly, yes. <laughs> He's entered the building like um, Jeremy Irons in Margin Call, basically. It's like, yeah, it's like it's all about to go down. Um, okay. I really hope he never listens to this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so um, I actually think this applies to almost all DS games in particular. So I haven't played this Ghost Trick um, redo, but actually I think that this looks like one of the better ones. I think this looks like it comes out in the wash a bit better than Phoenix Wright does in other formats, Matthew. I don't know how you if that's true from what you've played, but it seems that way from me, from yeah. the outside looking in. It's um, a bit more like dynamic. There's, you know, basic pitch tape. There's just more action in it. It's less static, so it's like more visually interesting and fills the screen a bit better. Yeah, exactly. Whereas obviously the roots of Phoenix Wright were, you know, they were GBA games, so there was they're working with that for the first three. But I think in general as well, like um, DS games just belong on DS. It's why it's the it's probably why it's the format I've collected for the most. Why I've got like you know more than a hundred DS and 3DS games combined because I just I don't know. I think that the dual the dual screen format to some degree just always dooms those games to that format. You know, yeah. I say dooms, but it's it's the, it's their, it's always going to be their home, I think, and I don't think that's going to change for the majority of those games, and that even yeah. applies to the likes of FF4's um, DS version, which you can play on other formats, but the visuals don't make sense in other formats. So right, it's, it's that, a 3D style that fits yeah. the DS, you know. So yeah, that, that's one hundred percent it. I I think you know games games have a connection with their intended hardware for sure. I mean, some sometimes that connection's weaker, like more broadly. You know, there's not a lot of difference between uh, playing a multi-format game on PS4 or or Xbox One, say. Um, but like the handheld console divide is definitely a big and real thing. Like a game made for handheld play is going to have like a different rhythm. That's whether the graphical style fills the screen or even just the pace or tone of the game. Like there's some experiences I don't want to have sitting still and you know dipping into a little visual novel you know when i'm just popping out of my pocket and you know reading a little bit of it like i would a book on a bus or something makes way more sense i also think there's a distinction between playing a game on a pc and playing a game on console on the sofa um like as a rule because technically you know following the logic of this question like the cheapest and best way of sustaining like the length of a game's availability is playing like a naughty version on the pc but basically if i can avoid playing anything on pc i will now like i'm i'm just out on pc gaming i think Mm. um whether that was just working from home and like my desk is like you've said this many times before like you know it just becomes associated with work or COVID times or all kinds of like weird baggage. But also just this, the feeling of mouse keyboard and sitting in an office chair is like, I don't know. That's 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 what I do for Excel, you know? I don't want to play games. Like Baldur's Bald- Gate 3 is the only thing I've played on my PC uh, this year. And, uh, 
yeah, so that that distinction's quite quite massive for me. Sorry, that probably doesn't really answer the question. <laughs> no, I think I think that is true to some extent. There are some some games where I don't mind them being excavated to other formats if the the hardware can support them quite well. So it's good that you can get No More Heroes one and two on Switch, for example, where you can you know mimic oh, the controls with you know yeah um, oh yeah but like, yeah, that's um, the thing i'd say that's like a console to console shift which is like an easier move than a handheld to console or a pc to console yeah i think the other thing is that the point about ac- access to it the longest i think that is true to some extent like i've been buying more games on xbox recently because they have been more bullish about supporting backwards compatibility than their competitors have and that means that if i buy let's say midnight suns or diablo 4 i I feel more confident that they'll be forwards compatible with whatever microsoft makes next so there's a little bit of that but i'm not always consistent with that at the same time um, indie games i now mostly buy on steam because i think having a steam deck this this will come up again later has underlined the fact that once you do buy a game on Steam, you really do just have it forever. It's basically just there. And yeah. you can forget about a game for like nine years and then come back to it later on. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, yes, it, it does matter, I would say. Um, but DS in particular is where it matters the most to me, I would say. Yeah. Okay, next question. We often hear about games people regret missing out on when they first came out. But what games do you wish you never bothered with? That's some Welsh boy Mick. What about you, Matthew? Messiah was a huge bust. I remember buying that um, when I was like a teenager because I thought, oh, you could possess all these characters. That would be cool. And it was just a really miserable, difficult game. Um, a, a big one for me was Doom 3, which I th- I bought because we had a quite a good gaming PC. And I thought, oh, yeah, this, you know, this is going to be really shiny, exciting. And I, I just hated what that game was, the kind of the horror experience of it. It's not fun at all. Big, big bust. Um that that Killzone launch game on PS4 was another one. Played like a level of it and was like, should have just bought a console without a game, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. Most uh, most things, th- th- those were the ones that jumped out to me. I didn't like. I also remember buying that. Um, what was the Half Life expansion uh, with the security guard? Opposing force is that it? No, that was the. I Blue think it was shift. the other one. Blue shift. shift. Yeah. yeah, that was dump as well. Um, <laughs> but I, I, all those examples come back from, you know, when I was buying, you know, with pocket money or like money from my Saturday job. So those games had to be really fucking good because I'd worked quite a miserable time in home base to have them. Right. So I, I kind of, I took, I took less than good gaming experiences a lot more personally back then, I think. Yeah, I kind of get that. I've got a few examples too in a similar vein, actually. So I, I I did spend a bunch of my own money as a teenager on the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone game because <laughs> you have to you have to understand I was thirteen and they finally made a film adaptation of this and Harry Potter was suddenly in other media for the first time and J.K. Rowling wasn't you know as contentious a figure as she is now, obviously. Um, so there was. This PC version of um, of a Philosopher's Stone, I didn't read any reviews of it, obviously. I just went and bought it because I just needed to, to have this experience and I didn't have a PS1, so this was where I was going to get my Harry Potter fix. I finished it in about five hours. It was shit. The combat was crap. The puzzles were crap. It was a really naff, rushed out depiction of, of classic early EA, early noughties EA fodder. My uh, sister rubbish. had this on PC. Oh, it's so underpowered. You and my like- sister should do the Harry Potter revisited episode. <laughs> 
the funny thing is, right, I quite liked the PS1 game they did, the one that has right. cursed PS1 Hagrid in it. Like, I actually I actually thought that was a lot better. It was a bit more... This one on PC seemed a bit more puzzly and a bit more like trying to be educational or something. I don't really... It just felt... It was very underpowered. At least the, the PS1 one sort of just looked a bit more Harry Potter-ish and stylish, stylized. Um, it was just crap, so... That was really bad. Um, that served me right, though. I learned my lesson there. Um, Final Fantasy XIII 2 is one I would probably take back. I, I played that entire game and, and, and didn't feel nourished by it whatsoever. I found it just a very vague collection of stuff, like jumping between all these different timelines, not really connecting with the characters, and finding the slightly Pokemon-esque um, addition to the combat system of controlling the monsters and levelling up the monsters. Very nebulous compared to just having a straightforward party not, of characters. Not I thought a big it was really... Chocolina head? <laughs> Very much not. So I was, yeah, underpowered. I probably would have played a bit less GTA Online than I did. I was really pl- uh, happy to have done the, um, the heist they added to the game. They were really good. But I think some of the other more rote stuff that I ended up doing during the pandemic or slightly before, I just, I, I think might have just been like, I would have been better off just playing a single player game or something. So those are mine, Matthew. But mm. uh, cool. Should we move on? Um, yes. You've got another long one to read out here. Right. Why do you think that video game RPGs seem to be almost exclusively medieval fantasy or science fiction adventure stories? I don't necessarily think that. Um, in the tabletop sphere this has stopped being the case years ago and especially with the proliferation of independent role playing games they seem to be set in a multitude of settings to tell all kinds of different stories in other video game genres we've also seen the move into other previously unexplored territories but RPGs with very few notable exceptions Disco Elysium and Valkyria Chronicles are the only ones that comes to my mind from recent years and they both have fantasy or sci-fi elements seem trapped telling the same sort of stories in the same kind of world do you think there's a specific reason for this do you know of other rpgs that try to do something different that's from margin walker um i think that's partly because games uh, it's too risky to do anything too wild with a massive budget game i think that's there's an element of truth to that uh so yeah i I think the other thing is as well that like I, i personally have come around to some of the criticism that these settings get for being like sort of imperialist fantasies and reinforcing imperialist or you know sort of colonialist norms i sort of like i do kind of understand that a bit the older i get the more i understand that criticism and how these types of stories in some ways exist to like promote that as a status quo and that that's part of the origin of those archetypes in the first place um but you know that no it's not to say that everyone making it buys into that but when you get, get like stories of like kings and chosen ones and stuff it's just those those have a very there's a very obvious grounding and where those types of stories come from it's not it's not that interesting or maybe not even like really relevant to our modern world anymore but um i don't know it's i think as well there are some exceptions to this i did think about this some more and obviously you have the likes of persona 5 which is archetypal in other ways you know um we have like near automata which is kind of an action rpg i guess that's a very different type of setting to what i've seen in other games and in the indie space you have as you mentioned there is obviously disco elysium but a game like amori which is kind of a weird horror sort of indie rpg wasn't my sort of thing at all but you can't de- can't deny that the setting's quite yeah. distinctive um i suppose I undertale as well play disco elysium and go oh not another fantasy rpg you no know. but they, they said that's a notable exception 
Right. That, that was that and Valkyria Chronicles are the notable exceptions. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. They do... oh, so I read that both have fantasy elements for bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, but I think they are I think they are saying that like otherwise they're not quite yeah. the same thing. So but yeah, I, I uh yeah, I think that is why I think it's just because they sell. That's why. What about you, Matthew? Yeah, I mean part of it's like you know, the people who are now in power to make these things grew up in a certain era with certain you know they've they've probably brought certain things through their lives and you know maybe you'll see uh, you know a broadening of these things when a generation raised on you know a more varied tabletop scene like a lot of the people who are designing games now have all grown up on the same D&D or Warhammer or the same kind of sort of fantasy tropes which is maybe why people turn to the same things but I don't know I I, I don't entirely agree with like oh, well, the other genres outside of RPGs are so inventive, you know. Like, I, I feel I feel like everything's everything's pretty tropey. The, the only, like, you know, examples of RPGs that don't heavily lean to, like, one or the other, like, I think yeah, something like 80 Days would count. Oh, yeah, that kind of, yeah. Sort of more visual novel-y, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah say, I, I, feel like there's, I feel like there's enough sort of interaction and choice and... You know, like the, the the inventory element of that adds adds something to it. Um, Catherine suggested um, that betrayal at Club Low. Oh yeah, the, uh, that which is kind of like a sort of surrealist sort of RPG, I guess. You know, mm. yeah, like has a, maybe a bit of a sci-fi tinge to it, but is more like real world through through a weird lens. Um, yeah, I kind of take the point, but I'm also like not. I don't think I'm as bothered by the point. I'm not like, oh my god. RPGs aren't feeding me anything new. I feel like there's a lot of diverse, interesting things happening, even within those tropes. Um, yeah. You know, you compare, like, a Mass Effect to a Citizen Sleeper and very different vibes, um, you know, approaching it from very different angles, both, both, you know, super interesting, both super valid. I think I, I personally think there's more to be done, settings-wise. Like, there's more, there's more... There are more radical types of setting to explore or different influences to draw from like i think i I wish there were more easy answers to this question so i do sort of agree with the point a little bit next question then matthew uh the console chat in the ps3 draft episode makes me wonder what do you think is the most exciting or successful jump between generations whether it's a technological leap exciting new design ideas or coming back strong after the last console failed to impress what's really impressed you that's from serrano what you got for this one matthew uh, I mean, I've said it many times before, but the jump to N64 and, uh, you know, th- 3D genres of, of things that I was used to playing on the SNES and Mega Drive, you know, I don't think it will it'll get much more impressive than that. But, you know, once you'd made that initial leap, uh, I, I don't know, I think the jump to the 360 generation was pretty pretty special. I can remember seeing, like, even, like, the earlier versions of those games, they just, their world seemed to instantly hold so much more detail compared to what was happening you know on the kind of ps2 and xbox and gamecube um you know that was like console console pc parity it sort of felt like which which was quite a a big breakthrough moment definitely for those of us who couldn't afford expensive gaming pcs yeah i think xbox 360 is a good one if you think about how piecemeal the xbox was and strange it was the fact that they had the duke controller which they replaced and then mm. they had like a separate you had to buy a, a remote control to turn it into a dvd player which you didn't have to do on ps2 
uh, you had you know the Xbox Live stuff came later and separately, whereas on 360 it was all it was all built in. You know, you just plugged in and then you're ready to go. It was much much stronger, and obviously the games like looked incredible. So I agree that was probably the last leap that was really exciting in terms of like hardware. I would say that the form factor of the Switch was an exciting move forward. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, for sure. That was like a generational leap where it's the way you interact with the console rather than like the power itself that that is 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 super impressive. So it's still capable on that level. But yeah, I can't I can't deny that the last couple of generations for the PlayStation Xbox are you know it's nice to have the the extra power, but you don't really feel the leap in the same way anymore. Mm. You know, the N64 example is a really good one. That's just like the way games progressed in the 90s. It, it will never be like that again, but it was a thrill no. to experience in real time for sure. Cool. Okay, yeah. do you want to read this next one, Matthew? Also inspired by the PS3 draft, talking about MGS4 and how Kojima went all out in the self-indulgence and fan service, are there any other games you can think of that went hard due to creator's vision? All the best, lads, and thanks for making quality podcasts. That's from Just Kai. Is that the person that's, you accused? Yeah, that's the one I said you accused to. That's the big Bayonetta 2 head. Sorry about that, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got a few answers to this one, Matthew. I'm sure you have too. Bioshock Infinite feels like it jumps out as... One of those, um, you know, I, I'm sure it's the it, it's like a, a, a series of creators who are informing the end result, but it definitely feels like you know just when you read Ken Levine's interviews that his sensibilities are in that game um, to a large mm. extent, and his next game I don't know I can't remember the name of, but certainly looks like it's following a similar vibe. Um, so there is you know there are some ideas that he obviously is very invested in. Um, other games in the more of the indie space, I would say that I don't know if anyone's played the Beginner's Guide, the Davy Reedon game. That goes very hard, and it's it's actually I think it's actually quite hard work because it's a bit too much of the creator in there. It's a bit too much like open wound about him and his his life, and I just I don't that didn't I don't really respond to that for whatever reason. But I know some people have mentioned that in, when we've done previous Game of the Year episodes of a game we could discuss. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, I would say that like, probably the games of Daniel Mullins, Matthew. Oh, um, that's what I wrote. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll put a description here. Um, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, no, I'll just say, like, very singular visions. I mean, maybe they've becoming, like, a little predictable in that, you know, they're going to be super meta and, and break the fourth wall at some point. But the fact that he is committed to, like, outdoing himself and making games which become ever twistier. You obviously had Pony Island, which started as a sort of simple game and then a simple kind of arcade game and then reveals this sort of mad d- demonic other other side to it and um i i, I actually think of of the three he's made i still kind of probably enjoyed um oh the second one it's not called the pact the hex yeah um which was like a murder mystery where all the all the characters were video game genres and you kind of learn each of their backstories by playing their game in their respective genre. But actually, within each of those games, some of them had, you know, mechanics which you could have broke, you know, pulled out into a whole game. Like you could almost have imagine a version of the hex where one one of the many rounds was what you know inscription say. Um, you know, there's like a weird platform and there's a weird fighting game and a, a strange tactical adventure. And but there's always something going on. There's always like a element of like hacking or going into the code in some way and um it's got to a point where like whatever he does like i'm i'm just in on it um yeah it's i think inscription as well has the the very powerful turn that occurs after you've done the initial card game element that's hmm. like that meta moment is 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 like pure magic i would say like it's yeah. 
it's a great how they do it is really impressive um yeah i don't I, the game itself kind of tails off slightly after that um yeah, that, yeah. that's sort of why i like the hex is because like, if you you know it, if one of the flavors of game isn't quite your cup of tea something else comes along but in, inscriptions definitely like the fuller you know more kind of comprehensive work yeah with um, um mgs with mgs4 actually um i will say it's harder to tell whether that's like pure kojima or whether it's just kojima trying to give people what he thinks they want um right and that's why the that's why it's got so much excess because i think mgs2 in a lot of ways is more pure kojima than four um just because I think the ideas are very clear in it. Four is like a big garbled pile of stuff, basically. Um, just not yeah. doesn't really cohere. Also, so. like Death Death Stranding is like Kojima <laughs> leaving the constraints of of you know I can't can't do what I necessarily want to do here, so I'm going to leave. And this is what I chose to do. You know, this is this is presumably like where his head is currently at. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. I I, I think. Death Stranding kind of ticks ticks that box too. Um, I, I was also into this question. I was going to throw in Sakurai games. Um, oh yeah. Which I think whatever they are, you know, whether it's Kirby, Kid Icarus, or Smash Brothers, I think they are the through line is just that he he kind of goes all out and he just throws everything at them. Like he's obsessed with modes and unlockables and all the kind of all the gimmicky kind of detritus of video games is just all in there constantly um you know even if what the actual games are about are, are quite different there's he, he never ever like offers half measure you know it's just uh he, he's he's another creator i think you could you can always expect that from him i suppose um uh, I, so one more to throw in here as well, Matthew, would probably be Immortality. That's like a creator sensibilities yeah, front absolutely. and centre, it feels like. So of recent games I've played, that would be that would be up there. But um, you, yeah, Sakurai's um, a good a good one because that's those are different genres you wouldn't necessarily associate with a creator's vision as such, you know, yeah. compared to stuff that has a lot of story in it, you know. Sorry but I think saying. there is a lot of his sensibility. Like his sensibility is in framing and modes and menus and options like it's uh, there's something there's something in that i think um i was gonna say on sam barlow uh recommend listening to his episode of my perfect console which is quite interesting he i know uh, a light spoiler alert for that episode he he picks uh five works of interactive fiction right uh, like none of which i'd played i'd heard of a couple of them uh it's yeah it's quite like a hardcore episode as as a result but it's quite interesting hearing him talk through, you know, the scene that he kind of emerged from and, and what kind of interested him and how that kind of like, you know, ties into what he goes on to do in her story and immortality and even like some stuff with, with uh, Silent Hill, Shattered Memories and things. But um, yeah, that is a, an interesting episode. I think you'll find there are no other podcasts, Matthew. Just I mean, this there one. are no other podcasts. <laughs> But if there were other podcasts, there might be one in which Sam Barlow talks about five works of interactive fiction in a very <laughs> engaging manner. <laughs> okay, uh, next question. Do you want to read this one? Hello, Samuel and Matthew. Are there any art or visual styles from comics, fine art, movies, animation, or other media that you think would be cool to see in games? I'd love to see a 3D world inspired by Klimt's famous The Kiss painting. Uh, that's from Blinky. This is very generous. Um uh assumption of of our knowledge of fine art <laughs> yeah i actually like ended up because i obviously i do you know i do try and go to exhibitions in the uk but then i rarely note like who paints this stuff or 
you know, do anything beyond taking a picture on my phone, I can do nothing with. And so my actual <laughs> base knowledge of this stuff is more like, oh, there, there is, a, there is like one painting I saw at like a witch's exhibition in Oxford that would be rad for for a style of game. But unfortunately, I didn't know what the painting is called or who painted it, so I have right. no information to share. So I have to go um, to pop culture because that's where my brain is truly um, is truly at. So I, I think like. It would be nice if one of these superhero games actually looked like a comic book. Instead, they all look like versions of the MCU, I would say. Um, mm. It's sort of like, maybe they're afraid of doing cell shading styles, but I think it's sort of like, I was playing the um, I was playing uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and the way that like Wolverine and Venom look in that game, for example, just such beautiful styles, and I feel like... It would be nice if one of these 3D games tried to ape the style of comic books a little bit more. You had, like, I don't know, more of a sort of, like, Jim Lee style to how they do, I don't know, like a Rocksteady game or something like that. But um, I think that just, yeah, I think instead, like I say, yeah, I don't I don't imagine, for example, the Black Panther game EA is making will look massively different from Marvel's Avengers or Midnight Suns in its basic aesthetic. I think it will be, like, 3D, some 3D models in the real world, basically. Um mm. So the art of Darwin Cook as well, um, a, a, a sadly deceased artist um, who was one of the original artists in the Batman animated series, has really stylized kind of like I would guess you describe them as sort of like forty, kind of like sort of like forties or fifties um, style to it. Just really, really beautiful. Did this book called DC: The New Frontier, just uh, gorgeous, like kind of like the ideal vision of what superman or like wonder woman look like is is how he drew them i would say um so that kind of sprung to mind um it would be nice if more games that had a kind of like a sort of manga or anime aesthetic were able to better able to mimic some of the better looking um sort of like entries in those genres like a, a, a game that looked like cowboy bebop would be amazing for example or akira um, but games yeah. can only get so, so far in their current form some um, of the anime like fighting games or action mm. games do come quite close like when you see footage of uh, like the demon slayer game you think yeah i don't know how it plays as an actual game but you think oh well, as, a, as a fan of that anime y- you know you're getting something quite close to how that show like looks and moves I, yeah that's you know, true I'd be, I'd be you know some of, i played some of the you know naruto fighting games and they had a they definitely had like them quite a commitment to doing like the mad scale and the kind of escalating chaos of these like world shattering moves or whatever uh, you know i just never really got into them sadly but yeah or like dragon ball fighter z right that was yeah a, right yeah. yeah and it may not be quite right but it's 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 definitely a, an attempt to to like find a 3d version of that yeah so i wish i had a slightly more interesting example for you here blinky but that's what i got what do you got matthew yeah again like i i even even less less of a pull to pull from because i don't have the interesting comic book observations you have um i was thinking about like i really like the the Leica stop motion films like kubo and the two strings mm. those kind of like stop motion puppets where there's like a you know it could be achieved with 3D animation, but there's there's a kind of texture to them or whatever, which, you know, I, I wonder, a kind of 3D action game, which kind of pulled from that slight sort of stop motion, the, the sort of feeling of sets, there's there's a sort of an awareness that you're looking at something kind of handmade in a way. And actually, like, um, some of the, the, the better stuff I've seen in Dreams does tap into that. Like, Dreams, everything has that slight 
sort of hand handmade whether it's just like the natural wonk of of what the hand carves you know using those game creation tools but that, that or every, you know even the most photorealistic dreams games there's a, there's a sort of veneer of of kind of sort of arts and crafts to it in some way which maybe taking that as an aesthetic and 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 blowing that out would would be cool like tearaway does yeah yeah but that was that was that was like very specifically paper craft it's more like the i don't know just the sort of the sense of something kind of carved from wood or or being a different material yeah i guess like tearaway but for like other other materials more games like that i I always like the kind of after arts and crafty things yeah yeah it's funny actually because i i I uh I watched Pinocchio for the first time during the pandemic, which I know sounds really weird that I'd not seen which it previously. One? The Disney one. Okay. And I had obviously previously played Kingdom Hearts, and there is a Pinocchio level in that in Monstro the Whale. There's basically just a bunch of like weird looking pink rooms. And then it doesn't prepare you for how weird and dark Pinocchio is. It's a very strange film. Um <laughs> it's a really, really odd and quite dark film. It's like a borderline horror film at times, I would say. And it was quite funny to see <laughs> how the the slightly, you know, the unnecessarily naff way in which the Kingdom Hearts artists had brought that world to life on PS2 versus how incredible Monstro looks in the film. Um, it was quite funny to compare those two things. Mm. So, yeah, like it's definitely like, I, th- I suppose like making 2D aesthetic work in 3d is just like such a massive challenge so i can understand why it doesn't happen yeah. quite so often but yeah they, um, um, actually i guess psychonauts 2 had a little bit of that feel to it that mm. that had like a slightly carved slightly whatever they were doing with like textures in that game was was really nice that really that really like spoke to me um on pinocchio the bit where they go to the theme park and everyone turns into donkeys that's like genuinely distressing body horror Oh yeah, and also there's quite quite a strong implication that the dudes in the shadows are paedophiles, right? That seems to be like what they're kind of going for in that film. <laughs> is it? I don't oh, remember you... in that much detail. I what? just I, like Pinocchio is one of those films which did a like. I think a lot of the reason I I don't like smoke is because of all the obnoxious boys in that. You know that film did such a number on me as a child of like if you behave like these people, you will turn <laughs> into this donkey. And obviously, I knew I wasn't going to turn into a donkey, but I definitely think some of my my uh you know life choices kind of come from things like that <laughs> yeah yeah i think so it does it naughty boys you. i still somewhere deep in my head there is an association with smoking and drinking and turning into a donkey at that naughty theme park you're just like you were like you know in your late 30s going i've just got to not turn into a fucking donkey before i die that's all i gotta do I, on this planet it's all i, I, I once uh one of my university friends had a um uh, it wasn't a stag do; it was a sort of a a, a, a hen do with with male and female friends at uh, Thought Park. Right, and it was Thought Park, yeah. And uh, we, if you go to Thought Park, you know you can go to the local train station, and then there's like a Thought Park bus they put on that takes just goes endlessly back and forth between the train station and the park gates. But it's mostly full of children it's 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 for people who can't you know drive to go to the theme park so it it has huge pinocchio energy because you go on that bus and it's just like 
a load of like teenagers with no adult supervision and they're all losing their minds because they're excited about going on a roller coaster or whatever <laughs> it is that kids like or they're going to eat like their body weight in candy floss and so they're just they're losing their shit and that bus had huge pinocchio energy like bad naughty children i was on there as like a 28 year old or whatever thinking <laughs> all these bad children are going to turn into donkeys when they go to thought park <laughs> It was so loud and shrieking, and you were like, Pinocchio really got a lot right, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely, like, yeah, the timeless depiction of naughty children. It really uh, got what children are like when there's no adults. They're just awful. Yeah, right, little bastards. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Well, on that note, we move on to the next question. Um, <laughs> uh, hi, large lads. Is the Backpage Pod Discord more good than bad? How do you feel about it as cult leaders in chief? Yes, I partially asked this to hear how exasperated you get over the takes in there, and so we can all feel seen for a little bit. Please don't nuke it. Cheers for the show, and sorry if we've damaged your mental health. That's from Bob Bob. Um, Discord, Matthew, what's your take? Because you're on there less than I am, but when you turn up, it's like it's like Kramer in Seinfeld. You get loads of emojis. People fucking love it. They're having a great time. <laughs> But Kramer, when he was a less controversial figure, we should add. <laughs> yeah, pre-2005 Kramer. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's okay. I, I feel like I, I almost don't want to go in there too much because I feel like I disrupt the natural ecosystem, you know? Like, it's it's a bit like, if you say something, it's, it, it, you know, it's like, God comes into the Discord and and sort of lays out the law, and then everyone's too scared to reply, or it change, or it kills the conversation dead. You can't go in there and have banter with them because most of them, the Discord people, are like, "Oh well, that's then." You know, we we don't want to argue with this this figure, I guess. So it's it's kind of difficult. It's it's a, it's a weird one. I just observe it from afar, <laughs> and I feel bad when I go in and you know when I see a bad take. Most of the bad takes I let go. But occasionally you go in there and you're like, "Oh, that just sucks as a take," and then you feel like, "Oh, actually, that's like." I mean, when I keep describing myself as God, that's I don't actually think of myself as God, but no, of course. that that is like you know God descending from the heavens, going up to a person and going, "You suck." <laughs> <laughs> And that person would be like, fuck, <laughs> like, God thinks I suck. <laughs> well, um, so I, some, am, yeah. I am aware that we have that effect on people. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely, like, done a sort of, like, God just said I sucked thing to, to <laughs> several of our listeners in there. I, I interact with them more than you. I think it's definitely more good than bad. I've had, like, yeah. up and down moments with it where I think people have been, like, maybe too familiar or... I don't yeah. know, just or, or just like I feel like they're frustrating us on purpose, baiting us or whatever. That's the, that's um, what I don't like is the obvious bait. It's like, well, I'm just not going to interact with those people because no, I f- I f- this is boring, isn't it? Um, but it does seem to be a little haven for people who want discussion about games away from the Twitter sphere. Um, yeah, and you do actually think that there are probably limited numbers of places you can actually go for reasonable discussion these days and i do think that our state our our sort of like us popping up in there does keep it does keep the sort of tone of it at a certain like level and prevents it from becoming twitter or something like that plus the people in there are mostly very nice so Yeah. yeah i think it's i think it's actually like quite a good little community we've built and i am sort of like reasonably determined to maintain it that way so i did see someone shared a game from a controversial creator in there yesterday and i did almost put them on cooldown because i was like because then they they, then it got into like 
I don't know, Twitter accusation territory. There's right. a bit of that I occasionally have to do, but usually they, they take care of themselves quite well, to be honest. They've set um, up a little game club or something, right? Yeah, it's called. I think it's called the 7 out of 10 club, and they're all going to play, like, I don't know, one game a month or something. I don't know. I've not actually read that channel, so I don't read every channel. As mentioned before, they could be planning a terrorist attack in the pa- parenting <laughs> channel, and I have no idea. I might be culpable for it as the creator of the Discord, but I, I don't look in there because I don't want to know what's going on with the parents. So, <laughs> so who knows? Um, yeah. Anything more to add, Matthew, or should we move on? <laughs> no, that's that's good. Okay, relatedly from Dynamic ca- uh, Calories, this is for the Discord. Good God, this is a lot of Discord stuff. In uh, this, is very, this is very self-indulgent that the Discord want to be talked about this much. I don't actually I don't actually know if I've got an answer to most of these anyway. Um, so we'll just see if you have any answers to this, Matthew. Number one, top bad hang in the Discord. <laughs> I'm not calling anyone in there a, t- a, ba- a top bad hang. No. Uh... I, I've, I've got someone I think it is, but I'm not going to say <laughs> Yeah, the same. Um, number two it's member, you, the same person. I think so. Yeah, number two member, you wish well. Uh, number three, best meme poster. Number four, best meme poster isn't Nace Lynn. I, I like Five, the category. The category say more than the answers. Yeah, it takes to make you go, oh yeah. It takes to make you go, oh no. The obvious one there is the Mission Impossible two breakout that happened in there of people saying this is good actually, and then yeah, just thinking, uh, I don't think so. No. Breath but. of the Wild weapon degradation. That's a no-no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, are... is anyone agreeing with something I've said on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, yeah, this person gets it. <laughs> Channel that's a no from you, dog. Sports, sports. obviously. Yeah, <laughs> sports, parenting. Um, don't really look in the pet photos one either, but again, wish the people well. Is there a pet well. photos one? Uh, I think so. I think it's like a pet oh. animals channel, I think it is, yeah. All right. um, uh, one discussion you never wish you have to... Uh, Lit- relitigate again uh, oh, and that again. is weapon degradation definitely yeah that's the ultimate one there like definitely not nine worst discourse implementation don't really know that one what that one would be uh, I don't know I'm not sure <laughs> talking <laughs> good, about good answers to this section <laughs> yeah struggling ten best recurring third party channel or podcast repeatedly mentioned despite instructions otherwise if Simon Parkin listens to this podcast by the way he might be interested to know there is a sub channel about his podcast in our discord <laughs> so uh that's that's something that exists um yeah i don't know if there is anything else we uh, tcgs comes up a, a few times but uh, again as mentioned yeah. there are no other podcasts so. there are no other podcasts yeah talking about how much you like other podcasts in our episode chat that's a big no-no yeah from um, me, Dolph, my ego yeah. doesn't like that um, <laughs> uh, i do like the final fantasy 10 memes even though I'm basically... I have played Final Fantasy X, but I just don't remember a lot of it. And I am reverse engineering what that game is from the memes. <laughs> I quite enjoy that, because they feed into that very much. Um, it's, like, it's just like Whacker and Blitzball, is all that that game is now to me. <laughs> I did really like the meme that, that said that um, Oppenheimer was Final Fantasy X, and then Barbie was Final Fantasy X too. That was like probably the best one i've seen in recent months that was really good especially because the person in question hates 10-2 and was trying to diss 10-2 but actually ended up like complimenting both games and both <laughs> yeah. films quite well so that was funny okay enough discord chat do you want to read this next one matthew other than the alfred molina 3 ps3 classic any tech demos you remember being particularly wowed or underwhelmed by i remember seeing screenshots in nom of the zelda demo at space world 2000 getting so hyped for the gamecube basically because of this, and then they included a picture of um, the 3D model of, of Ganondorf. Uh, that's from Naislin. 
Yeah, so the obvious answer to this was the peak shit heel move in 2005 or 6 when they did the FF7 remake tech demo. That was it. The what the game would look like on PS3 if they were making it, which they weren't. I mean, just I anything. Don't even so- remember that being a thing. Yeah, they did the opening of FF7 in like with PS3 tech. They showed Cloud in sort of kind of like Advent Children level of detail, I would say, and they showed that during one of the conferences. And they weren't making the remake, and they were like, "This doesn't exist." But if it did, it would look like this. Despite obviously people clamoring for a remake, tear like does anything sum up the sort of like the PS3's fortunes like that? A thing you could have had but didn't get. By the way, here's some brown shooters. Yeah, <laughs> um, that jumps out. I would also say um, I think like the getaway for a long time had these really bullshitty pre-rendered screens you would see in. Um, in official PS2 magazine, and I thought, wow, a game that looks like that. But it obviously was like PS4 level of details, like CG level stuff. Right, and then right. obviously you'd see it in the end and it would be like a low res JPEG of a HMV attached to a like a, a, a <laughs> attached to a block in the game and that was London. Um but that's fine. That was yeah, th- those I got excited about. Um I suppose I, I do remember this Space World demo, Matthew, and it was it was a huge deal for sure, but would end up creating quite a few headaches for Nintendo over the years, wouldn't it? What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's headaches because they then do Wind Waker instead and everyone feels that they want to see 3D photorealistic Zelda, even though Wind Waker is one of the best looking games of all time. Um, uh, annoyingly, the, the, the most impressive tech demo, and maybe this isn't quite the right thing, but it was the behind closed doors uh, destruction demo for Crackdown 3. Right. Uh, where they showed us off like the cloud, like the original version of what that was going to be online, where it was like the cloud server powered uh persistent damage of a you know uh, basically a multiplayer game that played out in a, in an open world city where you could destroy the city on a granular level and it was all persistent and you know never forgotten so like you could literally like machine gun a hole in masonry by chipping away at it like you know <laughs> concrete atom by concrete atom or you could like blow up entire skyscrapers and they'd fall over and knock down other skyscrapers and it was all calculated and powered by the cloud which was how it was going to be possible on Xbox One and obviously they just never ever managed to make the tech work even though we played we played a version of it a live demo of it um, uh. at Gamescom and everyone came out going like well that that was like the most impressive thing I've seen in years um but they just never ever delivered on it sadly so where is that build like let me play that build i want to yeah. see what it looks like you still can't fucking knock down buildings in games like that like they they hinted yeah. at like red faction gorilla that never happened again like yeah yeah, yeah. and that so that was but I, I guess that's not like quite the same of these tech demos oh like in terms of underwhelming i always used to roll my eyes at the an- annual or you know every couple of years uh updates to unreal around the time of gears of the war being massive there was quite a big thing of like because they basically show you the new engine in the framing of this is what the graphics will do in the next gears game so it's like here's gears 2 and here's how we've updated unreal and do you remember like the meat cube they had like this big meaty cube to show off like flesh physics and there's things like that you're like ah this isn't this isn't quite my quite my bag but people would go absolutely nuts for it and maybe that's because at the time i was on a nintendo mag where tech demos and graphical leaps just weren't in the conversation um another underwhelming one though it probably doesn't count as a tech demo because it might just be a bullshit trailer was like the very first unveiling of of the wii 
um, back when it was the revolution still like the early trailers of what Wii games would look like and how they would like move uh, is quite far removed from what they are or what they were uh, particularly in the looks department they kind of oversold you know it always is going to look super shiny but they always do that when they announce the console it's like here's the here's the kind of the theoretical kind of place we're going to uh, as opposed to where we end up yeah yeah absolutely it's uh yeah I, I, one other one to, to throw in there actually is the um not related to nintendo but related to unreal was the matrix demo they did um for ps5 oh, yeah. that was fucking great that was like it was because it was playable as well it wasn't just like a thing you saw in a conference you could actually play it which was uh, quite unusual and it gave you a, basically a whole open world with nothing in it but also a, a pretty amazing looking set piece with agents chasing you down a highway right a la matrix reloaded mm. like what a, that was a, a very generous free thing to give out and a cool a cool thing probably one of the 10 coolest things i've experienced on ps5 you know it was it was decent mm. so yeah you know that i think we got some good spread of advances there matthew mm. um this one's a bit weird matthew because this is this is a slightly older question but i think people would like to know your take i have a question for stealth tactics specialist basil pesto have you played the demo of the new Mimi me game shadow gambit what are your thoughts do you think that the graphics are a step down from desi 3 <laughs> desperados 3 which is so amazingly crisp that's from bumster um, <laughs> not sure what to make of that name so matthew have you played a bit more of this now yeah i have i have played a bit more i've not played as much as catherine who reviewed it for rps and gave it a best of best but um yeah I, yeah it's 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 great it's obviously yeah the, the next game from shadow tactics and desperados 3 except this time it's pirates um I don't really get the graphics being set down. Uh, I haven't put them side by side in my head. It's kind of how Desperados looks. Um, this game's got like a slightly bigger scale to it. Like uh, it's set on like bigger islands that are almost sort of sandboxy. And the the kind of big change between their earlier games and this game is that you build your squad of characters rather than go into a mission with a preset so they're having to design these levels that hold up as stealth challenges based on all the different combinations of characters you can build so it's definitely a more ambitious swing than their previous games um visually i wouldn't say it's a step down i don't i don't really buy that maybe like i'm slightly less into the pirate aesthetic than i was what they did with cowboys um but yeah, it's, it seems great. It, it's a much more like complete feeling game in that outside of the missions, there's like a hub area and there's a lot more kind of story stuff going on. It's their own story, it's their own IP. So they're kind of, you know, they've, their vision for it feels like much bigger um, compared to Shadow Tactics and Desperados 3 and like the, the light RPG elements, like the order you unlock or kind of um, reanimate your crew, obviously then changes the crew that you take into the missions. Um, it's got some really nice training elements to it that, that maybe the other games could have done with. So like when you unlock a character, you can go down into the hold and do these like bespoke missions that are designed to sort of teach you their powers, which is, I don't know, I just I feel like they're just trying to give their, their core gameplay, which hasn't changed much from Shadow Tactics, like the best shot it's possibly had of impressing people and bringing new people in. I just think people sometimes look at the screenshots of these games and go, oh, it's a strategy game, or it looks like a real-time strategy game because it's like isometric and like i don't play those games either it's it's honestly like a real take your time and like savor it and enjoy like the power of these mad abilities you know it's like to me every bit as fun and experimental as like a 
dishonored or something it's just a, a different a different visual perspective on it and yeah i just yeah hope people give it a go because it's it is pretty amazing cool yeah well a lucky people to get a, a sneaky little what what you've been playing uh, matthew in the middle yeah, of the, yeah. <laughs> in the middle of what's meant to be a value free um, deeply you know malnutritious <laughs> mailbag episode so <laughs> have to edit it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll stick it in another episode um a good one no it's um yeah i've got this i've got this one downloading matthew so i will i will play this one so finally be a me me game i have a take on and we can talk about yeah. it maybe who knows I'm maybe just, that's why it's was my game of its respective years so yeah and it's yeah this it feels like the moment for this this to happen so uh despite the fact that everything's being overshadowed by boulder skate 3 at the moment okay um, lads of large stature, I hope this finds you well after a conversation about the attraction of replayability in CRPGs and Western immersive sims versus the more common one-and-done approach of JRPGs. I wondered where you both stood on replaying games and revisiting other media. I imagine there's a certain amount involved in producing the podcast, but how about for leisure? I'm pretty sure I'm pretty much a one-and-done guy for 99% of games. That other 1% is basically just Sekiro. As ever, love the pod, and I've already asked and if you've already answered this question and I've forgotten it, please dismiss. That's from Dynamic Calories. Matthew, replaying games outside the podcast, how common is that for you? Not very common. Um, I'll, I'll replay the Castle Canon masterpieces, Galaxy, <laughs> Ace Attorney, Hitman. But actually, like replaying stuff for the pod, you know, when we've done like a serious retrospective or like a deep dive into a particular creator. It actually does make me realise like how much my my views do change on games when I revisit them, you know. And I'm quite happy with the version of games I have locked in my head, but I'm also aware that like I ha- I will have fresh takes, and that it would be more interesting for the podcast. But you have to draw the line somewhere because you know my job is, and a lot of this podcast is you know what's new and looking to the future as well. So yeah, it's tricky, I- isn't it? It is. I would rather be playing more replaying more old stuff because i think a lot of our best podcasts are actually us rediscovering things and recontextualizing things and you know yeah re reevaluating games and so, uh, yeah understanding yeah, i'd say to place. a degree like there, there's a certain like uh, i'm not ever really like you know when you've gone back and and like how you go back and play like n64 games and that kind of there are certain areas that i'm like you know what, I don't really need to do this. Right. And I'm kind of happy with my teenage memories of these games and they just haven't, like, aged aged as well. Like, I don't, I don't want to just go back and, like, dump on all the things I used to love, which is why there's a little bit of apprehension about going back sometimes. Yeah, I think it depends how far back you go. I think that when I go tend to go back to, like, the PS2 era, though, I'm, I'm gen- generally having quite a good experience and yeah. I, I enjoy... You know, like some of my highlights of making this podcast were, you know, revisiting God of War games or the Metal Gear Solid games, obviously, and playing GTA 3 when they re-released that. Like, I I really love doing that. And I, if anything, I wish I had more time to do it for the podcast. I feel the the dual, you know, sort of like uh, sort of pressures of like, we have to do a Game of the Year episode, so I don't want to make that bad. So I have to make sure I'm playing new stuff, which is, yeah. you know, it's that's I, I almost wish there was slightly less of that. That's why I'm a bit like perturbed with the amount of big games this year because i would almost rather could spend a bit more time replaying stuff for some of the episodes we've got coming up like the old hitman episode or the resi moments episode we're doing on on patreon so yeah it's a it's a balance but i i think i'd probably get more out of it than matthew and i probably naturally did it more than matthew and Mm. if i'm being honest 
part of why I started the podcast is because I did want to revisit some of this stuff and have a good reason to do so. And mm. and I like that we've got that built into the DNA of the podcast that we can do a two giant men replay Metal Gear Solid three if we want to and find value in that. Or you know, Mac, playing replaying Max Payne three probably mo- some of the most fun I've had making this podcast, Matthew. It was a blast to just play that for mm. a, a few days and talk about it. But um, then if, for every one of those, there's like you go back and play some Goldeneye and then you're like, mm. yeah, that was that was a tough a tough replay. You know, facility is still fun. The first like. Far, half of that game mostly is still pretty but like, pretty enjoyable. I just think that's that's basically what that game was what my personality was for two years. Yeah. And now I'm like half an hour I'm like nah. <laughs> <laughs> like that I mean I cannot state how much of that game I played. Uh yeah. Back, yeah, so that was I just don't want that. I don't like those moments of realization. <laughs> no, but we're quite careful I think to like not to not go back and dunk too much you know uh, uh, the exception obviously being jet force gemini sorry for any fans of that game who've heard, heard me dunk on that game's controls many times but uh i can't help myself so yeah it's a balance i suppose is the answer yeah uh, do you want to read this uh, this next one matthew we only got two more dear large gentlemen hopefully i'm not too late for the mailbag i'm just re-listening to the steam deck episode of the pod and would love to hear your feelings about the steam deck one year on after a burst of playing it after launch i found myself putting it down for a few months as the novelty wore out only after picking it up infrequently i've started playing through final fantasy 7 reunion and east origin on it lately though i've immediately fo- and now i've immediately fallen back in love with it how are you finding your deck one year on that's from nash Iyer. Yeah, so I think the Steam Deck has sort of replaced the Switch for me when it comes to playing indie games. So it's right. because like some games are coming out on it before they're coming out elsewhere. So you can't play Dave the Diver on Switch, for example, but you can play it on Steam Deck. And I, you know, I've got Dredge on Steam Deck. I've got um, I played Arcade Paradise on Steam Deck, and uh, I played like Pizza Tower on Steam Deck. So I'm sort of I'm I'm using it for that. I would say more than big games because i find the battery just drains too fast for the big games thing to make sense like as impressive as it is i think that's something you do when you first get it and then you you find more of a pattern of games that are appropriate for it you know like it was amazing to watch days gone on there and play that for like a couple of hours but then if it's only running for 50 minutes you might as well just go play it on your ps5 that's in your house you know um so that that sort of happened but i still use it as a tinkerer's device you know uh, like i say older boys tell me that ps2 games run great on there you know i wouldn't know anything about that obviously but you know those those older boys that's that's what they tell me um they you know they say that if you want to try incredible hulk ultimate destruction then maybe play it on there again these are older boys i have no no information about <laughs> their whereabouts or, or what they do but yes um how about you matthew well, i actually haven't played mine for quite a long time like right. i don't really use it um, I think that's mainly because I was pretty much exclusively using it to play, you know, the hundred hour plus visual novel Umineko, and uh, which I'm I'm still only like halfway through, uh, and yeah, I don't know why I stopped playing it, but it's it's literally in its in its little package by my bed. I don't really have a very interesting take on this one, I'm afraid, uh, <laughs> other than like. You know, for work reasons, I've had to like familiarize myself with a, a lot of PlayStation stuff recently. Um, like, I've been playing a lot of first party games on the Switch. I just don't play as many like indie games things as you things, which probably would exist quite happily on on Steam Deck. Um, yeah, it isn't any slight on the Steam Deck. It just doesn't quite fit my my diet at the moment. I'm 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 in a big a big console phase. 
the funny the other thing is i don't know you have, don't know if you have this matthew but because of the amount of like hardware i own now it feels like everything i own i only enjoy sporadically like i don't feel like i'm persistently right, yeah. using any one thing anymore my pc or my ps5 or my series yeah. x or my switch they are I, I look at all of them and i'm like am i getting enough use out of this and i feel that way about all the hardware i own now um yeah it might just be through volume do you get a bit of that yeah, that's 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 definitely true. I mean, you know, as an indicator of things, like Catherine plays hers loads more than I play mine. Um, but that's probably because I'm hogging the console. Like I basically sit downstairs by myself playing the console and she sits upstairs playing Steam Tech. <laughs> sad, sad image of our home life. Uh, but uh, that's the beauty of Steam Deck. It enables us to have no interaction. I really, honestly, I just wish I had a better battery life. And I know why it doesn't, because it's kind of miraculous what it does. But yeah. I did, like, last night just install Dishonored 2. And while it did that, it lost, like, 15% of its battery life. And I was like, right. wow, this thing, I just forgot how quickly this drains. Um, Do you still so, have yeah. to have it on to download things? Uh, I don't know. I'm actually not sure. Um, if you can, cause that, was, that was always my big beef, is that you couldn't download while it was, like, in sleep mode. I think mine might still be doing that. So right. it just had but, to be on in the corner of the room, which is like just constantly seeing out the corner of your eye, like that screen being on on the floor. I was like, Ugh, this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's yeah, getting. I've got like a lot of div- a lot of like devices with um, LCD screens that are just collecting dust. Like honestly, <laughs> when we did we did after we did the Wii U Hall of Fame, I kept my Wii U out for about three months, and yeah. the state of that screen, that Fisher Price screen <laughs> on the controller, man. Okay, we've got one more question, Matthew. Do you want to read this one out? Uh, yes. Sorry, I have to go into a different doc for it. One sec. No worries. Uh, I also had to do that, which is why I got you to do it. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, well, Let- this is really long. Okay. But this it's, fu- it's a good it's one. Good. Yeah, it's good. This is from a uh, uh, friend of the podcast, Nathan Brown. Hello, normally sized men. I hope you. Fi- I hope this finds you well and isn't too long to read out in the pod. Matthew's recent Apple source disaster had me thinking about my own embarrassing memories of press trips over the years. They are, quite frankly, legion, and many of them can never be repeated, but one in particular sticks out. It was in 2014 when I went to Nintendo HQ in Kyoto to interview Miyamoto for an Edge cover story. This was in the middle of the Wii U and 3DS era when Nintendo wasn't doing so well, and thanks to a company-wide cost-cutting drive, we had to fly through Dubai, which turned a 14-hour journey into a 20-hour one. We landed at midnight, went straight to a Tokyo hotel, were on a bullet train to Kyoto the next morning, met Miyamoto the morning after that, and went straight back on the train to the airport to head home. We were in Japan for less than 48 hours, and I was was a jet-lagged mess throughout. Miyamoto, you may remember, had been working on four Wii U prototypes at the time, and after I'd somehow made it through the interview, he asked if I'd like to play the Star Fox prototype. It involved constantly switching focus between the TV screen, where you saw Fox's ship, and the gamepad, which had a cockpit view for apparently easier aiming. It was, as anyone who ever played Star Fox Zero will attest, absolutely awful. Through a combination of nerves, jet lag, the game's cumbersome, counterintuitive concept and controls, and my steadily increasing sense of shame and embarrassment, I made an absolute mess of it. Through his translator, Miyamoto began offering helpful tips, which merely added to the confusion. I eventually offered him the gamepad, said something to the effect of, perhaps you could show me how it should be done, and my god, I will take the look on his face to my grave. He wasn't furious or anything, 
just disappointed, and that was far, far worse. Anyway, that's the only time I met the world's greatest ever game designer. Weird that they never invited me back. What's your most embarrassing hands-on demo memory? Thanks for the wonderful pod, and keep up the good work. Lots of love, Nathan Brown. Oh, what a lovely story. Indeed. A nice... Uh, I wanted to end the uh, the mailbag with a little treat for people, Matthew. A little yeah. reward for getting this far. So, uh, <laughs> he listened but... to all that dog shit. <laughs> but then Nathan told a good story. Good stuff. I'd have, just, I'd have just put that up as one of his blog posts. That's good. Yeah, it's good. That's a hit points. Uh, yeah, like entry right there. Um, yeah, so hands-on opportunities. I've talked about a few of these before. I remember... This one I haven't talked about. There was a Crytek MOBA I went to an appointment for at E3 or something. And look, I don't like MOBA games, okay? I'm not interested in the character designs. I'm not interested in the mechanics of, like, <laughs> a poor guy here and he just does stuff, send little gremlin guys, buy a load of stuff from a shop. I don't care about any of that. The time I had to play Dota 2 PC Gamer was, like, the worst time ever. It's not good. Played this game, got cancelled. I remember the day of... She was really getting frustrated with me not understanding how to play a MOBA. And I was just like tuning out and not having a good time. And I could see her getting frustrated with me not grasping it. Occasionally I have those kinds of appointments, I guess, as a journalist. But the other one, and I've talked about this before, was when I played Leia with the six-axis controls in front of Sony's PR. And she just... She like she had played the game enough to know how to play it properly. And she took it off me and she could control the dragon, make it fly around fine but i took it and i just couldn't do it i was just like flying the dragon from one end of the map to the other and then every time i tried to turn it around it would do like a 180 it just wouldn't steer precisely and it just felt like an absolute nightmare and then i would occasionally just like (laughs) i just i was just really struggling with it and that that was such a stinker of a, a demo and like i mean obviously that control scheme was absolutely slammed people did not like it they did eventually add um, you know, twin stick controls, which are here, make it a little bit, a little bit better. So, yeah, but that one was like, it was just someone telling you something works, and you're like, it doesn't work. I'm trying it; it's not working. And then the world says it yeah. doesn't work. You know, um, how about you? That's tough. Um, I think I may have mentioned this before, but when I went to the like the big, there was a big WeWare day in London, and this was back when Super Meat Boy was still coming to WiiWare, was intended as a WiiWare game. Eventually, they, they never released it on there. Um, but I played Super Meat Boy on the Wii with um, uh, Tommy Revnes, I think his name is. Yeah. The, the, one of the co-creators of it. Um, and, like, the room was quite hot anyway. So, you know, being a larger, a larger lad, I was already a little, like, a little overheated. But, like... The stress of playing Super Meat Boy, it brought me out in, like, incredibly heavy, like, instant sweat. And I can remember just there, and he was really, like... I think he wanted me to finish the level, because it had that gimmick where it would show you all the playthroughs at the end. You know where you do it, and then it shows you, like, all the Meat Boys dying, which you wanted... But you had to, like, complete the level for that to to happen. Um, And... He's just like, oh, you know, another go, keep going at it. And you're like, oh, I'm re- this is really getting hot. I could feel like the Wii remote getting like really slick in my hands because I had just such a such a disgusting sweat on. And like <laughs> the pressure of trying to complete this game, which is like, you know, its whole selling point is how hard it is to complete. 
and this guy kind of looking at sort of taking sort of pity on me and i just felt so sort of disgusting and you're like i just want to like walk away from this demo completely and um that was that was really rough in terms of absolutely like just completely biffing a demo and not really understanding it this wasn't so bad because it was it was as part of a preview session so no one was really keeping an eye on me but um when I was on RPS, I started having to go to preview games for the channel in genres, which everyone who listens to the podcast will know I have, like, no interest or experience in. So, like, anything sort of strategy or 4X, it just meant I was going to have a really bad time and come away with a lot of very bad footage. And going to do um, Total War Three Kingdoms, <laughs> and I just couldn't pass that fucking game at all. Like, I couldn't make it do anything. You're like, oh, I'm trying to go here, and it's like, these guys, oh, you can't do that because these guys don't have, like, grain. And then you're like, oh, how do I give them grain? And, like, you know, triggering these battles, which I didn't know how to control. Just absolutely abysmal. I, uh, like, those games are so hard to get into. Um, They're a genre in themselves, really, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I really tried. I tried prepping. I tried playing other ones before we went because I knew, like, oh, I, I don't know how these things work. But I, I, just, I just don't understand how people ever get into them. Like, they seem so confusing to me. Um, you know, Warhammer's I consider myself reasonably intelligent, but I just, just couldn't do it. And they're like, they always have this, oh, and this one, you know, this one's especially user-friendly because we've got these really in-depth tooltips. And you're like, I regret to inform you your tooltips did not help me one bit. Everyone's <laughs> starving. There's no fucking grain. Like, it's like, oh, yes, I think I finally managed to attack something. And it's like, well, you've just attacked one of your own villages, you fucking burk. And you're like, that shouldn't even be an option. What's happening here? Um... <laughs> <laughs> bad time but it was um it was at the top of the shard oh yeah in one of those fancy hotels there um mm. so that was quite fun i always like to preview event uh up there the toilets in the shard they have urinals that just look out uh, like they've got glass windows behind them so while you're taking a piss you can just look out and see the london skyline and it's like you're like pissing into the city Big Roman Roy energy to that. Oh, big yeah. Roman Roy energy. <laughs> Except Roman Roy wouldn't have like struggled through an hour of Total War Three Kingdoms. <laughs> he would have just he would have fucked that off like minutes in and just gone and eaten lots of the um, free uh, uh, Chinese food buffet that they had. <laughs> I think the uh, Warhammer ones are a bit easier to pass than the um, maybe the historical ones are if you've not played one before. I I had played a bunch of the second one during the pandemic and had a, had a pretty good time. It's just this thing where people are like you know fucking you know Lou Boo or whatever is gonna like negotiate with you for like land and you realize you've sold like a mountain for like (laughs) you know one sheet of cotton or something and (laughs) like all these other warlords are like fucking get him while I go into good guys (laughs) this this king does not understand what he's doing (laughs) like let's just strip him let's just strip everything he has I like the idea that you... Did you go to this demo because you were like, maybe I'll see Lou Boom, my guy from Dynasty Warriors? Was there a bit of, <laughs> was there a bit of no, that? No, it's because it? it's like, you should go to this because it's a big game on PC and we're a PC video channel. And yeah, maybe some of my apprehension about Gamescom this year is because the last time I went, it was for RPS. And that would mean going to see a lot of quite hardcore PC games, which I had no understanding of. Like, you can basically apply the same things I've said about Total War Three Kingdoms to... <laughs> like any number of demos i saw there like 
the worst footage you've ever seen of Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord. Like, <laughs> here's a guy who doesn't understand that. And that has, like, the look of a third-person action game, but I would think I was trying to play it like Skyrim or something, and Skyrim it ain't. And we put a video up, and it did, like, hundreds of thousands of views, but all the the comments were like, it's so wrong that this, this fucking idiot got to play this, and I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, when this happened to me on PC Gamer, I just like hosed the situation down with Fraser Brown, basically. Like, right. <laughs> um, Fraser just reviewed Baldur's Gate 3, and it was like any RPG or strategy game, it's like, yep, here he is, here's Fraser. Fraser knows exactly what he's talking about, and he can yeah. he can take this and protect me from looking like a fucking idiot, basically. Honestly, so, yeah. like, whenever someone reaches out, which is quite often about, like, how do I become a games journalist, Mr. Castle? <laughs> I should just say, honestly, that, like, if you want, the, 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 like, you definitely want a job is master the strategy games and be a half-decent writer and, like, you will be you will be in use forever. Like, everyone needs that person and there's very few of them about, yeah. you know. Be yeah, it, like, another, like, yeah, there is only one Fraser Brown. <laughs> yeah, that's what Unfortunately. <laughs> when we hired him, it was, like, the greatest, maybe the greatest moment of PC Gamer was hiring him. I was like, oh, we did it. You know what I mean? We got... We got our missing piece. We have we have everything we need now to make this website function. <laughs> uh, funny but true. Okay, that's a, a good note to end on then, Matthew. The podcast is done. Me and Matthew are pri- privately aiming for around an hour with this one, and it has, of course, ran to two. But I think it was a, a fun episode, Matthew. Some laughs in there. Um, I think maybe like there's a three quarters in. It went a little bit like, uh, when will the questions end? But I think it, it came back around and it was good. Um, how do you feel the episode went? I feel like it went okay. I think Nathan Brown bailed us out with a good anecdote <laughs> at the end. Um, I feel like I said deep gnome too many times. <laughs> I don't think you said it enough, personally. But yes, that's this podcast done. This is the last one of August of the uh, the main feed. XXL, we've got an episode for Patreon um, folk at the XL tier on uh, a streaming service draft that me and Matthew are doing. So that should be a fun one. That'll go up after we come back from Gamescom. And next month, we're definitely going to do the Nintendo DS draft. So I'm excited about that. I've presented Matthew with 15 categories. He has not fed back on those yet. So not sure how he feels about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, sorry. I th- yeah, I thought they were good. <laughs> okay, excellent. Let's, let's, let's do our business here. <laughs> yeah, we'll move ahead with that then. And um, I think we're probably going to bring back Games Court next month. And I'm also wrangling a game developer guest to come on next month. So talk about something quite um, quite cool as well. So, yes, lots to look forward to. Matthew, where can people find you on social media? Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter and also Blue Sky. I'm on there too, if you uh, if you have joined that app. And um, yes, uh, I've abandoned threads. One listener did at us on threads, Matthew, and it was like two weeks ago when I'd like checked. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm really not <laughs> engaging with this platform. And uh, Backpage Pod on Twitter. And uh, yes, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.